Hi guys, this is Zoheb just breaking in here before Colin and I cover Zodiac, David Finch's amazing Zodiac. God damn, this movie was a blast to cover and we had an absolute great time doing it. Um, I just sort of wanted to address a few things before I kick off the podcast. Um, firstly, I just wanted to thank all of our listeners. We've been having some great feedback. Um, everyone's amazing. Uh, they're doing such a great job. Uh, we've got some, okay, I want to use the word constructive criticism because no one wants to <laughs> be like, hey, everyone's calling us shit, but they're not. Seriously, it's it's been so good. Um Constructive criticism is such a great way for us to deliver the best podcast that we can. Uh, we've been taking all of the suggestions and everything in stride, and I've been trying to implement it as best I can. Um, that being said, uh, I am breaking in here on this episode in particular because we had some uh, issues when we recorded this podcast. Uh, I don't want to say we, sorry, it's actually me. Uh, my track in particular uh, sounds like I'm in some sort of uh, wind tunnel. <laughs> um, and that was just uh, mainly due to an amateur problem, not a problem, but an amateur thing, a mistake that I made. I had the uh, microphone too far away from me and it just picked up every single thing. So it just took me a bit, <laughs> like a week and a bit to sort of edit it, edit it, edit, edit the hell out of it. Um, and it was just a, just a shit thing. It was just such a shitty mistake. Uh, but look... Colin and I, we are amateur podcasters, um, but at the same time, we do want to maintain some semblance of professionalism, and we do want to deliver the best kind of podcast that we can, um, so that's kind of why I, why I just wanted to break in here and sort of apologize for that mess, um, but look, this was a great conversation, we had such a fun time doing this, and it was three and a half hours long, um, and that's why we're, we decided to release this podcast, um, but again, I do apologize for the, uh, the error. Uh, it, it is a bit shitty, but, uh, look, we will try and improve in the future. As you can hear me now, I do sound a little bit better. Um, and that's only because, you know, I've learned, I've learned the discipline of podcasting since then a little bit. I'm still shitty, but what can you do? Anyway, guys, thanks for listening to me ramble on. Here's a Zodiac by David Fincher. Uh, and again, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of uh, Midnight Double Feature. This is Colin here, along with my good friend Zoheb Ali. How you doing, guys? Thanks for thanks for tuning in. Thanks for checking us out. Uh, we've uh, we've got a, a a good episode tonight. Uh, I mean, always good episodes, but one that I am positively ecstatic to do. This is one of like one of my probably in my top twenty favorite movies. I I absolutely love it. Uh, I'm really excited to be covering it, and I know it's Oheb is too. And we just want to say thank you guys for tuning in. We've had a great, great response so far, and great feedback. And just want to say thank you guys so much for that. Um, you know, we're we're still going to be releasing episodes every uh, two weeks of the major films, and then we'll probably be coming in and doing uh, a few solo episodes. Hopefully, maybe we can finally get an episode where you and I are both doing, you know, <laughs> a, like some kind of news episode because I think that would be really great. Um, but you know, obviously, living half a world away <laughs> kind of has its uh, kind of has oh, its yeah. problems. Oh, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, how are you? How are you doing tonight? So have you doing good or how, how, good morning? Good morning to you, sir. Yeah, it's a, it's a crisp, crisp, uh, Sunday morning right now. Um, no, no man, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's, it's, I'm, I'm super excited to cover this movie, man. Seriously. I, this movie does not get enough love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it, but goddamn, uh, yeah. I, we've already pretty much blown our load for this, like, our, our thoughts, <laughs> our so, um, yeah, man, I'm super stoked to talk about this and, uh, yeah, man, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's it actually, it's kind of weird. It snowed here today and it's been, it's eight o'clock on a Saturday night for me. Um, but it's, it's, it fucking, it snowed it's April what seventh it's, it's i think that's the latest snowfall that's ever happened here it's that's oh, not it's never happened before um i've never yeah i've never lived in a place that snowed <laughs> oh my god like I it just doesn't it just doesn't snow here i mean we've got the snowy mountains uh to our south a uh, couple couple hours drive um but not it doesn't snow in sydney so oh my god i couldn't get out of my neighborhood like two years ago like uh, uh, going up like it was a big hill going up i couldn't get out as nuts um, but okay. yeah, I, I, obviously, if we haven't stated, we're doing Zodiac, uh, directed by David Fincher, came out in 2007, star, uh, starring Robert Downey Jr., Jake Gyllenhaal, our man Mark Ruffalo. Um, I I, uh, I had a guy at work actually because you know he listened to the podcast. And he he was like, so it's got you know because last episode on the news we were talking about giving a guess at who it was, and he immediately was like. Oh, it's Zodiac, isn't it? I was like, "Shut up, dude!" Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, I haven't had anyone. I haven't had anyone come up and like sort of guess, like guess it. Um, I mean, of course, it's like, "Oh, have you listened to the podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, I just, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to get up in their face. But um, yeah, man, I, I was like, "Oh, that, that clue, that, uh, that's, that's." They're, they're gonna know. They're gonna know for sure. Like, right. You, you gotta be, you gotta be dumb to not get this one. Yeah, right, especially if you're a Marvel fan, like there's no way. Oh, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I I'm, uh, I should go ahead and say at the top of this, like I am a big Zodiac fan, not of just the film, but I don't want to say Zodiac fan, you know, like I like the fact that this guy went around <laughs> shooting people, but the whole history behind it and how, you know, I, a lot of people, especially here, in, you know, especially here in America, you know, talk about Jack the Ripper and Jack the Ripper and Jack the Ripper, you know, but Man, Zodiac was way. I mean, Dude, one thing it happened. I am excited to hear you talk about the Zodiac killer. I mean, like, cause you, <laughs> you've been teasing like all of your knowledge and shit like that. Like, uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm half thinking that you're the Zodiac killer because of how much you know. <laughs> so yeah, man. Like, uh, seriously, just give us some preamble because I'd love to hear it. Uh, well, yeah, basically, um, the uh, I, I read I read a, uh, both the books that Robert Graysmith Robert Graysmith wrote the character of Jake Gyllenhaal uh, plays. I, I read both of his books, and uh, you know they're, they're they're really fantastic. You know, you just blow through them. Uh, they're 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 the information, the amount of time and energy put into him collecting all of this was just unfathomable. It's just insane, and there's so many dates and names and it's almost nauseous like there's just so much going on but yeah you know, to the state you know so many people talk about jack the ripper you know but in the u.s here like zodiac is our jack the ripper i feel like you know this is way more modern than jack the ripper you know you've got writing letters and leaving you know to and and kind of taunting the investigators who are following you um you know and and i think that 
especially with it being so recent, you know, and not so recent. I mean, it's what, late late sixties, early seventies. Relatively recent, yeah. Right, absolutely. I mean, we're talking about you know, like we're we're talking about you know what forty fifty years ago versus something like Jack the Ripper that happened. I'm I'm not sure when, but Robert Graysmith has actually written books about Jack the Ripper as well. So I should probably check those out. Um, but yeah, just the whole investigation behind it, and kind of I enjoy looking into the things that are kind of opposite of the movie you know i just you know the film definitely kind of pushes you in a, in a way to, to to view it and it's not you know that's through the investigations of robert graysmith i don't think that this is the agenda of david fincher these are just the facts as robert graysmith had them and it's interesting to look up some facts that are you know about other people who were zodiac you know they obviously point very strongly to arthur lee allen um, but they do mention, you know, Rick Marshall and a few other people who were uh, suspects. And it's really great to I, th- I think if you're going to really investigate into something, OK, well, this is what how I think it went. What are the other opinions? What are the other people who believe that? Um, you know, there's there's a lot there's a wealth of information there of, and a lot of people who think that Arthur Lee Allen did not do it. You know, and, and they there is some good. There is some good evidence to the contrary, but I think it's debatable, and and I'm definitely excited to get into it. I I do want to try to stick to the movie more than that, you know, than obviously just going off about the true crime behind it because that could, that's just a whole other podcast, you know. And we're 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 here to talk about the movie, and I definitely want to cover a lot of the real stuff that's gone on with it as well. And I think uh, I think we can get a good balance of them in there, but. Uh, I think before we get into any of that, though, uh, Zoheb, you've got a review of The Quiet Place for us, don't you? Who are we if we can't protect them? We have to protect uh, I do. Um, yeah, so I saw The Quiet Place last week. Um, or A Quiet Place. Um, oh, A Quiet Place. Called. Yeah, um, holy shit. Okay. Um just uh, I, I've put a review somewhere else. I believe it was the LSG page, LSG media page. Um, these guys are going to get shouted out every episode. I don't Whoop give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, goddamn, this uh, this was a movie. I'm not even kidding, man. Like you gotta, you definitely gotta see this. Definitely a movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely had credits. Definitely was produced. <laughs> you know. Um, so for those who don't know, um, the A Quiet Place was written and directed by John Krasinski. Um, it was he wrote it with a few other people as well, but John Krasinski is um, one of the leads, if not the lead, um, besides Michael Scott in um, The Office, mm-hmm. the US version at least. Um, and John Krasinski, man, you you just get a whole you just get a whole um, newfound respect for him after you see this movie, man. This is like. It's it's insane. It's it's insane how very well done this movie is. It's it's only ninety minutes, so it's very short and sweet. But it's it's an intense ninety minutes. Like there are things that the attention to detail is absolutely ridiculous. Like they take this concept, and I'm just gonna briefly explain the concept. Um, I won't get into spoiler territory. Yeah. Because again, it's only been out for a few days. Yeah, don't you so ruin the, that the, shit for me. No, don't <laughs> worry, man. So the concept is. Um, you know, there's some sort of creature that's out in the wild or creatures. I mean, I'm not going to go into that. But um, essentially, there's a family and they the only way they can survive is by not making a sound. And that's super simple, man. Like, I mean, it, yeah. the movies have done this concept before. Um, there's a movie called Don't Breathe, which really did which, which did that really well. Have you seen Don't Breathe? I, I actually haven't. My my uh, my nephew, who I work with, Dylan, he was telling me all about it. He, he said it was really great, but I haven't had a chance mm. to watch it yet. 
Yeah, no, Don't Breathe is great. It's very well directed too. Um, and there's another movie on, on Netflix called Hush. Um, and that's that's a very straightforward um, thriller, uh, which is very similar to this. But this, there's nothing, there's nothing that's done this concept on this level. Um, right. And and there's nothing that's done this concept as well um, as this has, because this this takes all of its its elements. It has fun with the elements, but it also like I thought that this this was going to be like a gimmick. Like it was just gonna be like a oh this is this is kind of like a cool concept that'll draw the audience in but no, they flesh the hell out of this concept. Yeah. Um, like there's every scene there's like a thing that absolutely pushes that forward that you know pulls you into it. It's 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 immersive from the first frame, um, and seriously, even just under that concept, there's like a great story as well. Like. The, the storyline it's very emotional it's very um it's very hard-hitting um and the two leads man john krasinski and his real life wife uh emily blunt uh, what like what a lucky man he is seriously uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um guy the jackpot i mean seriously he got to fake uh fake marry jenna fisher in the office who i i love i mean she's awesome she's so yeah. amazing i love her in walk uh, hard then, she's she's so funny in walk hard oh uh, the dewey cox story yeah <laughs> um yeah she's awesome in that but like yeah dude uh yeah guy hit the guy hit the jackpot with emily Blunt. um <laughs> but yeah man it's it's a perfect thriller like i'm i'm, I'm talking perfection um also if you if you're a fan of science fiction it really goes deep into science fiction as well it's real it's like it's it's very original is what i'm trying to say um mm. that being said it takes its uh, inspiration from a lot of things like i was watching an interview with john krasinski and he talks about how um they took inspiration from things like um well, as i said don't breathe um he didn't necessarily say this but uh, i it looks like he took inspiration from a, a really well-known playstation for game PlayStation mm. Three as well, uh, called The Last of Us. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Have you played that? I actually, I am an Xbox man, and I have not. Oh, but I have nice. heard, I have heard so many things about it that if I, if I bought a PlayStation, it would definitely be probably the first game Dude, I got. I bought a PlayStation specifically for that game, and it did not <laughs> disappoint. <laughs> it did not disappoint. Uh, but essentially, in The Last of Us, there are these creatures called the Clickers, mm -hmm. um, and that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. um, that's yeah, not, that's man. not ominous. <laughs> no, no, but um, yeah, man, Krasinski directs the hell out of this movie. And at the start, it was really, it was, it was a bit tough to like, kind of like shake the the Jim Halpert of it all. Right. Um, but I mean, I've seen him in other things as well. He he was in a, a Michael Bay flick called Thirteen Hours: The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, and he was really good in that. And that's actually one of um, one of Michael Bay's best best movies, actually. I think I'd say. Um, this is also produced by Bay, <laughs> uh, by his Platinum Dunes company, which doesn't do that many good movies. Um, I mean, they did the Friday the Thirteenth remake, Nightmare on Elm Street remake, Texas Chainsaw uh, remake, and shit like that. So they don't really, yeah, they don't really put out perfection. But this is, yeah, this is actually absolutely amazing, man. You got to check this out. Um, I'm super excited to see what John Krasinski does next. I know that he's um he's going to be playing Jack Ryan. Uh, in a limited TV show coming up, so pretty, oh, pretty stoked cool. to see that. Yeah, um, but yeah, man, this this was a great movie. I cannot recommend this higher. 
Awesome. Yeah, I, I really look forward to seeing it because I, I, I'm not really, as we kind of talked about earlier before the show started, we were discussing, like, I, I don't get out enough to watch movies. But when I saw that trailer, I was like, we're going to go see that fucking movie. Like, like <laughs> we, we're going to go see that because that looks... That looks too good to, to pass up. You know, that's definitely something that I want to see in a in a theater. Um, but yeah, I, I actually there's been there's been kind of some talks. Uh, do you follow this guy on Instagram? His name's Boss Logic. No. He like he basically does a lot of crossovers and takes actors and draws them as Marvel Comics characters, DC. He did one uh-huh. for the cast of Stranger Things and turned them all into the X Men. And like Hopper was Sabretooth and Dustin was oh, Beast. That's and, yeah. Let, oh, uh, actually, I might have I might have seen this actually, but I I don't I don't think I looked into the writer. Yeah, uh, sorry, yeah. the artist. Yeah, his his. If you ever get the chance, I highly suggest anybody who's a fan of like crossovers or seeing you know their characters and in, in any of their geeky nerdy fandoms or. Uh, but Boss Logic does some great stuff. Uh, but because uh, there's been somebody I guess talked to John Krasinski about possibly playing Mister Fantastic, and he said that he would really. He was like, I would love to play Mister Fantastic. So, of course, Boss Lo- Boss Logic heard that and has drawn and made up. Uh, uh, John Krasinski is Mr. Fantastic and has taken Emily Blunt and made her Susan Storm. And I'm like, oh, oh that's my God. Badass, man. Um, yeah, so that's really cool. I think he might have done, I think he might have also done the thing in the Human Torch, but I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure. But well, just I, while we're speaking about Marvel, I mean, John Krasinski was actually supposed to be Captain America. Did you, did you know? Oh, that? wow. No, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, he, he was, uh, he was, I'm pretty sure he was cast at one point and everything. Oh my god! I don't know, man. I wouldn't mind seeing him. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing that movie. You know, I'd. Yeah. Yeah. I'd not. No offense to Chris Evans or anything. You know, there's not. You know, I. I think that he would do a, a fantastic job. I'd really like to see at least an audition tape. You know, like something. Right. Yeah. Um, but no, man. Seriously, a quiet place is so good. It's. It's. It's really. It's really tough to do facial acting only. Um, like there's not. I mean, there's there is dialogue in the movie, obviously. Um, but I mean, a lot of it is done through sort of like hand signals and all that, um, and and sort of em- emoting just through your face, and it's right. just so. It, I absolutely take my hat off to them. I'm not wearing a hat right now, but if I was, <laughs> yeah, that I, I I can only imagine how difficult that would be to like to do that and not not speak. Yeah, that's something I think I said earlier on in one of the other episodes. It's like, what what in God's name would drive you to never speak again and, you know, cease most of your communication, like, through your day-to-day life? Like, uh, I, I can only imagine what would what would force you to do that. But, um, but yeah, with that being said, you ready to jump into this, bitch? Well, what was that, Sam? I did not say anything. We heard a scream. That was my headache. You sound like you're in a great deal of pain. My head aches. I'm so sick. I'm going to kill them. But yeah, so like right away what I love starting off with this movie is that the Paramount sign is actually like the old school like Paramount sign. It's a, it's, it's like a vintage kind of one and I and I I'm not, I think David I think David Fincher picked that on purpose. Uh, just because he was, you know, just thought it would be cool of what the Paramount sign was at the time when these events were occurring. I might be wrong on that, but I know it's a, I definitely know it's the vintage Paramount sign, uh, which I thought was really like the, cool. the Warner Brothers logo. No, the uh, like right off the bat, like when the when everything starts, there's like oh, a, that's right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, because um, the, the Warner Brothers logo is also sort of a bit washed out as well, I think. 
Right, and I, yeah, I definitely like that they they kind of go with that older kind of. Uh, uh, it adds to the aesthetic, man. I love it so much. Everything about this movie. Um, oh, we didn't even <laughs> we didn't really do our, our our. I mean, I you did, I guess. Um, our sort of opening thoughts, impressions on this movie. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Well, I, just, I definitely, just, yeah, I definitely gave mine. <laughs> oh, that's cool, man. Uh, just going back a little bit, uh, just quickly. This movie, I watched this when I was 14 years old. <laughs> Damn. Uh, yeah, it's a heavy movie to chuck on a 14-year-old, but I remember seeing like a trailer for this, and I remember I had no idea what Zodiac was or who he was. Um, I, I was just like, kind of like, I remember seeing the trailer and being like, oh, this is this looks pretty cool, because like, you know, I was a dumb 14-year-old. Um, yeah. But no, man, uh, like we, Australia has had um, its, its um, notable crime figures uh criminal figures there hasn't really been anyone like zodiac um the closest i would say um is ivan malat who was a croatian sort of um murderer he kind of killed backpackers but i mean again they did catch him so Mm -hmm. he yeah so he was eventually they found him the big thing about this man this is unsolved (laughs) It's right. still unsolved to this day, which is which sticks with me so heavily. Like uh, like when I was a kid, I remember when I finished this, and then it tells you that no one was actually charged or convicted. Um, that that sticks with you, man. As a kid, like you're just like, holy shit, this guy could actually be out there. And then like you kind of like do this addition thing in your head, like you're like, okay, so if that was 1960, then you know it was about 40 years ago. So he might be dead, and then you're just yeah. kind of like trying to make yourself sleep at night, like by saying that to yourself. Yeah. Um, but no, man. Uh, there was another. There was a really similar um, sort of movie in Australia. It's very famous. It might you might have heard of it. It's called Wolf Creek. Yeah, um, I've seen that a long time ago. It was really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So that was loosely um, based on uh, Ivan Milat. Um, mm. Yeah, very loosely though. Um, I think there was like a conglomerate of like. Um, famous uh, Australian outback killers that were like that, um, but yeah. Um, so uh, John Jarrett is an Australian actor, and he plays that that character so well. He's very horrifying. It's a great movie. You got to see it. Uh, directed by Greg McLean, who did the Belco Experiment pretty recently. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, but um, dude, yeah, Wolf Creek also had that very same ending where it's like, oh, he wasn't caught. <laughs> yeah of course like i mean it wasn't only it wasn't until years later that i found out that that character was fictional um but uh that that kind of shit sticks with you man when as you're a kid like you know and um but then when i grew up and i watched this movie again um and i start i started like noticing things like cinematography and the lighting dude the lighting in this movie is next level yeah like um it, it absolutely there's a whole aesthetic that goes into this movie and it just makes you, f- it, 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 it's, it, they establish tones so well. Like I can't, uh, I can't commend this movie high, like higher, um, for tone. Um, and I think as, as movies go, cause like, let me just talk about David Fincher for a second. This guy is one of the greatest directors working right now. Um, I mean, this guy's done, let me just rattle him off. Fight Club. Uh, he's done Seven, which is another favorite of mine, and we'll definitely cover that at some point. <laughs> yeah, after I watch um, it, finally. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, you haven't seen Seven? 
No, I even own it, and I haven't watched it. I, I bought it randomly. Like, I've, I have a stack of movies that I bought I haven't watched, and Seven's in there. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm I'm, sta- I'm looking at the DVD case now, man. we gotta, we got to cover that bitch. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did, He made, like, nerdy, nerdy Facebook creators awesome, like, you know, really interesting to watch it, The Social Network, which is great. Oh, yeah. Uh, the cu- Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Game, um, very underrated as well with Michael Douglas. Um, his latest one was Gone Girl, which is really great as well. Um, but somewhere along the way, this kind of always ends up not being spoken about. Um, and I think this is absolutely one of his greatest movies. <laughs> like, right. It's, it's so, it pulls you in straight away. Um, like as we'll, as we'll talk about just this opening shot. I love this opening shot with the fireworks on 4th of July. Yeah. Um, like that date, July 4th, 1969, oof. like that, that feels like that, like in an odd way when these killings kind of began, I don't want to get like too meta or too like heady, but it was like, you know, this truly feels like the end of like the sixties. And I'm sure, it, you know, I wasn't around, you know, my parents were kids, but it, it, it feels like, especially July 4th, 1969, something about that date feels, you know, especially with what's going on and what's happening. It feels so like, God, like. That uh, yeah, the, with the end of the '60s and it being on July Fourth on Independence Day, there's there's something about that that really resonates. Right, um, exactly. It's I mean I I felt that, and I'm an Australian. Like Independence really <laughs> Independence Day doesn't really matter to me. Um, but yeah, I I saw Fourth of July and I was like, oh, that's wow. Um, so I guess because we're already talking about this opening scene, we should just kind of get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the uh, so we're we're on July fourth, nineteen sixty nine. Um, there's a lot of you know, like that, like you said, the opening shots of those fireworks. It just looks so great. Uh, it looks so fantastic. Um, and we are like, I, th- there's a there's a couple uh, there's a couple of things, kind of true crime wise that that are that I'd like to yeah you know, that I'd like to cover a little bit. Apparently, and they they don't mention this a lot in the in the film, but. Darlene, this is Darlene Fair, and she's going to pick up uh, Michael Majot. Uh, mm-hmm. And basically, she was she was married. She had a small she had a small child, uh, and she had kind of I think she had like various kind of boyfriends. And she was seeing other people, um, but basically, you know, she's she's showing up to pick up Michael Michael Majot, uh, and you know, she's she's saying she's got to go pick up fireworks. A bit of the history here is she's actually. Um, She's going out to pick up fireworks. Apparently, this is in Robert Graysmith's Robert Graysmith's book, uh, and people are like waiting on her to come back. I guess, and she, I, I don't know. If she, I don't know why she was picking this guy up. You know, but she's basically, yeah. You know, I guess maybe they were going to go out to Lovers Lane and you know do what lovers do on Lovers Lane. But oh, I, uh, I put I put make out make out point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but people are waiting for her to like come back with these fireworks and stuff. And uh, as, as she's, you know, she she picks up Michael Majot and they drive off. Um, you know, she's talking about she's starving. She wants to go get something to eat at this diner scene. Uh, you know, there's there's we don't we the viewer don't see it actually. But as they pull up to this diner right after they leave Michael Majot's house, she's kind of got this. I believe the diner's called Mister Ed's. She's got this kind of look over in a rearview mirror over her shoulder, like she sees something that spooks her, and she's you know, oh. and, and, and immediately because this is something from reading the book. Basically, you know, she she saw whoever this guy was. You know, a lot of people think that she knew who the Zodiac was, um, and yeah, they 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 think that she was being stalked and she was being followed. They don't know exactly who he was, but that there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who apparently saw this guy that, that was stalking her and coming by her house and knocking on her door um 
and it's 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 kind of nuts that you know apparently she was really really popular and a lot of the even a lot of the cops knew her when they pulled up on the scene like knew her like knew her right away and knew who she was she was really popular and uh, a lot of people knew her but yeah basically um they're well this is this is the this is like the main sort of opening to the case wasn't it um like this is that they later look at um isn't this the girl who um oh god damn it i'm stumbling now um when they when arthur lee allen rocks up to the party is that is that it the painting party? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. He yeah, and that's he basically came. Everybody else is in you know messy messy clothes and stuff. You can mess up, and he shows up in a suit and just sits there and and never. Now apparently they can't a hundred percent confirm it's Arthur Lee Allen, but it was somebody matching Arthur Lee Allen's description who went by the name Lee. And I think that's what's so infuriating about a lot of the stuff in this case is that it's just. It's circumstantial in a court of law. Right, and I, exactly. And, and obviously, uh, you know, I definitely want to hear, like, your take on the evidence as we go along because, mm. you know, as, as a lawyer, you know, and, and uh, just I'm, I'm not sure exactly how the laws are applicable here and what might be different, but it, there's so much they're, of this. They're very that, different, especially when it comes to criminal law. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, seriously, seriously, I still love to get into that shit because it's this, like, cases like these, like, they they – I love the hell out of them. I mean, not love them, but you know what I mean. They're right, they're really fascinating. Yeah. Um. So yeah, basically, uh, she's she's picked him. She's picked him up, and uh, you know. The, I right, love this right, shot, man. Um, the one that's just like kind of like through the car, the car window. Right. And it's just like you see the houses go past, like it's, uh, and then just uh, Michael just walks out and just like talks straight into the camera. I love that shit, man. Yeah, and him flipping that Zippo, I, I love that. Oh, God um, damn. It's got such an old school sort of noir feel to it. Yeah. Like, it really felt like uh, the game L.A. Noir. I played that a lot. Ooh, and that, yes, that was yes. that was a great game, and it felt very, like, L.A. Noir to me in a lot of it. I think they that really was done by um, an Australian studio, uh, Team, Bo- really. Team Bondi. Yeah. they've. I think they've gone bankrupt since then, but, you know. Oh, that sucks. That was a really good game. Um, it was. Uh, but, a lot of people didn't really have the patience for that kind of like uh, that kind of game, but you know, I dug uh, that. Yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. It was cool being on the other side of Grand Theft Auto for once. You oh know? yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, basically, she she's picking him up. She says she's starving. They're going to Mister Ed's diner. Uh, over her shoulder, she, you know, she kind of sees something, you know, and just immediately she's like, you know, this this place is full. Let's go somewhere else, you know. And he seems <laughs> yeah. very. You Let's know, go someplace quiet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Says the female. Like, right, yeah, and she's like, yeah, she is definitely, she, yeah, I, I, I don't, this, this, this guy is not having to really like push at all, <laughs> like no, it's, no, it's uh, very um, easy, very easy, uh, you know, yeah, right, like right off the bat, and you know, they get there and they park, and uh, I love those, you know, those cars pull out and throw fireworks at them as they're, and, and also totally accurate, absolutely happened in real life, like so much of this stuff. David Fincher painstakingly went through it is it is nuts you know to and obviously you're a big David Fincher fan you know how he is about reshoots and getting things down right and shooting stuff over and over and over oh yeah yeah um, I think we should credit the writer as well James Vanderbilt um he, right. he wrote he wrote the movie as well um but yeah I can you can absolutely see the kind of like detail that's that's kind of gone into it all the research and all of that because it's not it's not very easy to make a two hours and 42 minute true story like this. Right. Um, and keep, and keep people invested the whole time. Yeah. 
And also, I just kind of want to bring up just quickly, um, San Francisco in particular has had its fair share of um, ruthless sort of criminals that's kind of really gotten away with it, you know? Um, mm. There was another one that operated about, a, I think, two decades or so after this. Um, started in 1978. I actually listened to a, a podcast on this. I actually I just want to shout them out real quick. Uh, they're called Case File. Um, it's an Australian um, podcast, but they, they cover um, true crime. Like, there's so many true crime podcasts out there. Um, so it's really, it's really tough to find a really good one. But this is really good. Um, so they talked about... Um, the original Night Stalker, also known as the East Area Rapist, also known as the Golden State Killer. Oh, um, yeah. This guy was next level, man. This guy, uh, you know, 50-plus rape victims and 12-plus murder victims. Um, Wait, is, that, they, is that Richard Ramirez? Well, they never really caught the guy. Um, I, I don't I don't really know. They, I, I don't think... Um, yeah, actually... Uh, actually, that's unrelated Night Stalker crimes, Richard Ramirez. So it's not it's not this guy. Okay, okay. Like yeah. that name that name threw me off for a second. But yeah, that's yeah. that's not. To, I haven't I haven't heard about this. No, yeah. So um, this guy, I'm looking to Ramirez right 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 now. It's not. It wasn't him. Okay. They, all they all they have is like um, three sketches from the FBI, and that's pretty much it. Like <laughs> it's just it's Jesus. it's absolutely insane. He'd break into their houses and just kind of like. Um, well, I'm not going to go into it because it's, it's very, it's very brutal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I absolutely recommend listening to the case file podcast and, um, sort of going into that because it's, it's very, it's very weird that, you know, San Francisco has, um, like two very notable, um, serial killers and they both got away with it, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's. It's it's nuts to uh to you know to think about that you know and I think that's why it's so fascinating to me is not so much like I, I'm not really big on forensic files and like a lot of like you know cases where it's cut and dry where you you just watch the murder and the trial of somebody and you and you know that they find this person and put them on trial like I I personally don't like watching those so much because I feel like I'm just watching somebody's misery you know I just don't like that right. you know, I, but if it's something unsolved. It's kind of interesting because it's a it's a mystery, you know, and you it's it's almost like having something stuck in your teeth. It's like I've got to get this out. Like I've got to, you know, eventually, if you when you fall into it, you know, and you and you see the people who are still affected by this. And there's, I think there, I, I know Mike Majo is still alive. This this young man that we're kind of talking yeah. about first. I'm not sure about the other male victim. I think he was the only other survivor, you know, and we'll get to that point. The one at the lake, yeah. Yeah, uh, Brian, I think Hartnell is his name at Lake Berryessa, uh, but mm-hmm. he. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure if he's actually still living, but you know, there's only really two people who ever survived the attacks and, um, you know, it's just, it's important that I think a lot of people fall down these holes like Robert Graysmith did because it's not, it's not something that just gets swept under the rug. You know, this is a big deal. This is somebody who, you know, has, has caught, like, like you said, you know, it's like, I don't even want to get into it. Like the severity of what, of what these people have done and just ruining people's lives. And it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's. It's good to see that there's people out there like Robert Graysmith who are, you know, like, no, we uh, let's put this to bed and let's figure out who did this. And without Robert Graysmith, you know, who knows if they would have even gotten close as as they gotten as close to anybody as they did Arthur Lee Allen. Exactly. Um, and it's it's just infuriating. We'll go across this evidence as oh, it goes yeah. on, but it is so infuriating. I like. Uh, um, I've always. <laughs> oh no, go on. Sorry, I was moving on to the same bit. 
Oh no, yeah, I would, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say, uh, yeah, they're where they go and they park at that, you know, kind of like that that quiet spot and out on Lovers Lane. And there's people throw the fireworks and <laughs> fuck off and die. Well, like that's what way. I was gonna say. I've always laughed. Okay, look, I I absolutely have respect for the victims and stuff like that, and I know that this is a true story, but I've always kind of like laughed at that. <laughs> It's oh yeah so, it's just so like just out of nowhere and like and the, and like um the girl is just kind of like staring at this guy's like what the fuck are you about right yeah she i mean she can't even help but laugh yeah. uh fuck off and die you know and yeah. she she kind of immediately is like what what was that yeah. it's um, so good and they just have like a little laugh about it um yeah, yeah man but then oh this black car just pulls up yeah she's like i saw that car at ed's at mr ed's Right, yeah, and, and that's 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 what I love is you know, I, you know, just just seeing that car pull up, uh, and that whole song, the hurdy gurdy man song playing, oh. like oh, it's cre- now it's so creepy to me. You know, I can't I can't listen to that. Um, you know, I I can't I can't hear it without obviously thinking of this just brutal yeah. attack on these yeah, people. Man. But um, but yeah, so uh, the the car kind of speeds off, you know, and, uh, and but before that, what I love is Michael Mike, you know, Mike Majot is like, do you want me to tell him to leave? She's like, no, stay in the car. Like mm, she yeah. knows who this guy is. Like you don't want to fuck with this guy. Like do I not go the, out um, there. I love I love the 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 building of the tension. The movie this movie does that a lot. Like there's no sort of like score or anything like that. There's a lot of diegetic music, mm-hmm. um, and by that I mean like it's the music that's used in the movie. So for example, like the Hurdy Gurdy Man's uh, playing over the radio. Um, I, oh, I love shit like that because it's not. It doesn't feel orchestrated. It feels very raw. It feels like you're kind of there. Like do you know what I mean? There's nothing to take you out of the the movie. Right. Um, it's 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 very all just kind of like chucked in there to be like hey you the audience are here as well <laughs> right um, it feels it feels yeah it feels very in keeping with like the times and it feels yeah exactly it, it, it definitely yeah very periodic kind of music but yeah with yeah. that that car driving off and leaving and she you know and he's immediately who is that she's like it's nothing you know it's like how do you just lady how are mm. you just gonna brush that off there's no way like she asks- he asked her if that was that was her husband. Yeah, right. And she's like, it just it dri- it drives me nuts that you know she she kind of knows who he you know she it seems like she knows who he is, uh, and in real life you know it, like a lot there's, I think the only p- piece of conclusive evidence that. Um, the Zodiac knew who Darlene Farron was, which is a big deal, obviously. If you know your victim, you know there's that's kind of a link right there. Um, mm-hmm was that you know when he walks up and he shot them in real life he actually said i think he's he's her, her nickname was d and he said d and that got her attention and then he opened fire um which is left out of the movie actually but mike mike majo is like yeah he said d and then just you know kind of started opening fire on us um which is what which is just nuts to think about uh but but yeah this this car driving off leaving you know and them kind of quarreling you know for a little bit you know, oh, it's nothing. How are you going to sit there and tell me that's nothing? You know, no mm. way. I would have been like, start the fucking car and we're leaving so weird, now. Man. Like, so weird. Um, but yeah, that car, and like you said, building the tension, the car drives off. Oh, okay, we're cool. Nope. Just comes right yeah, back. Comes oh, right back. That feel and like. Just, just the way it's shot, dude, like that front, that front facing shot where you, you see the headlights. Yeah. Um, it's it, so uh, good, man. And yeah. then like, he just, he just, no, go on. I say it feels like a train coming out. It's like, oh my god! Like seeing that thing from that far pull. It's like such uh, a long shot of seeing it pull up. Right. And then, and then, um, 
just he opens the door he walks up to the window and without hesitation mm-hmm. like mike mike just starts to stumble and like talk to, tries to talk to him without hesitation just silence gunshots man um he just he just brutally attacks these two kids and it's just it's so it's so brutal dude it's so real you get this slow motion like um just this slow motion little vignette of the shots and like I love that close up of the gun. That's um very David Fincher. Um, oh, yeah. There's a very there's a similar shot like that in um seven. It's really great. Um but yeah Darlene just kind of chucks her hands up in defense and he just brutally attacks her. Right, yeah. Uh there's uh yeah in that moment he you think he's gone and he's again think he's gone. He's going to the car. He's about to leave. He comes back and starts shooting oh. Michael Majot and, and Michael Majot's I think they said the only thing that saved him was him jumping from the front to the back, and apparently, maybe uh, I, I, if my memory serves me correct, it helped block some shots. I think he was actually able to to evade him a little bit, um, mm. but not. He basically crawls out of the car, and that's when that um, the the I'm not sure if that's California Highway Patrol on the motorcycle or not. I think it is, but him coming up and you know seeing him on the side of that car, it's like oh my god! Like he just looks like I was I was amazed to hear that this guy lived. In real life, yeah, me I was too, like, man. What? Uh, yeah, he shot through the neck. Like, oh yeah. my god, um, it's just a human body, dude. What do you think that was about, by the way? I mean, him going back to the car and then coming back. Like, I mean, he shoots them, and like, you know, very brutally. And then he returns to his car, and then he's like, "No, wait." And then he comes and does a double tap. What do you think that's about? It's just like kind of like he's like, uh, "I've got to make sure this is done." Is that? Do you reckon that? Would- that's what that well, was. I I think I think maybe you know I I'm I I believe that Darlene was definitely the target. You know he he you know definitely he has kind of a mo for you know with these couples that he attacked of attacking the the couple and 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 the in the book the I mean the book kind of made me sick at one point you know because I can't I don't do well with like stabbings and things like that and like intestinal like I like, can't do it like that's that's kind of like a phobia thing of mine and um it's it's definitely a lot more brutal but he would you know savagely you know uh savagely you know attack the women shooting or shooting them or stabbing them numerous more times than like the men so I find it kind of odd that he goes back and shoots Mike Majot, uh, you know, a few more times and still doesn't kill him. You know, that's that's crazy. That's that's mind blowing. Uh, unfortunately, um, you know, Darlene Farron did die. She was uh, pronounced DOA before she ever even got to the hospital. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's nuts, especially with as the cops pulling up, you've got the phone call of the Zodiac calling um, uh, calling the authorities and basically so creepy, just, man. So right, call, calling Vallejo uh, Police Department, um, and you know, just yeah, you know, goodbye. It's oh, oh god, god, it is so creepy, it. and it's just juxtaposed with you know her. You know, she's barely alive in the front seat, and him hanging off the side of that thing. You know, b- both looking like you know they were just right on the right on the brink of death. Uh, but in that phone conversation, also uh, Zodiac, when he calls, he takes um, he takes the uh, I don't want to say the credit, uh, but he takes responsibility for basically killing those murder. kids last year. Right, and that was a couple I believe named David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. 
Yeah. Um, he he shot both of them, uh, and just high schoolers, man. High schoolers on. I think they were either on their way back to prom or coming to prom, um, but just no reason, you know. And uh, and people just thought this was just a random occurrence, you know. This this you know, the, obviously this is California. There are plenty of people there who with with who are and plenty of people everywhere. But of course, with such a large population, plenty of them who are disturbed. You know, the 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 higher the population, the higher the probability of somebody who's got some kind of problem, you know, lashing out and doing something. But, you know, a lot of people thought it was just an isolated incident. Um, and that was kind of one of the most infuriating things about Zodiac is the moving of, you know, he attacked in Napa, he attacked in Vallejo, he attacked in San Francisco, you know, he attacked in, you know, two, like three or four different places, which is definitely caused a lot of red tape to be and dispensed. And to add... To add to that as well, man, like there was like long stretches of time where this this kind of goes goes on, you know. Like it's, I mean, this movie itself, um, you've got four weeks later, a month and a half later, two weeks later, ten hours later, and then you've like got like this seven massive, and a half years later, yeah, one of them. yeah. You've got a yeah, one year later, four years later, it, it, it seven and a half years later at the end, like it's insane, man. This is this. How do you keep track of someone like this? You know, it's. Unless you've got a Robert Graysmith who's absolutely committed more than the police um, to track someone like this down, then you've got no chance to catch someone like this. Right, yeah. This definitely, this. I think this, yeah, this definitely helped the dissolve of Robert Graysmith's marriage. And, you know, you definitely see why, you know, somebody would not want to put up with that, especially having a family and you know, your family being in jeopardy because Robert Graysmith did receive phone calls and, you know, did receive I, I don't know if he ever actually received death threats but uh, I know that he definitely received phone calls and so did the families of these victims who were murdered um, uh, like uh, Darlene fair and her her family members got phone calls of someone just heavy breathing on the other end of the line and Robert Graysmith said that he actually had quite a few of those uh, while he went after somebody after it was you know uh, basically publicized he was writing a book and, and chopping around um, that's so crazy dude yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but speaking of Robert Graysmith, uh, we're gonna cut to this uh, port of San Francisco. San Francisco. Beautiful shot. I love this shot, man. This is, this has to be CG, right? I mean, it's. I, I don't think know. so. I th I think so. I love. Oh god, damn it! It's so it's so beautiful, and it's so Fincher. He loves these like these shots, um, these long sort of. I don't know. This movie does it. This movie does it probably better than any other of his movies. Um, but yeah, uh, there's something about this shot that I just love. It just comes in over the port, mm. and it just it just keeps moving in, it keeps moving in. It's just it's so good, man. Yeah, um, it, it feels like you're flying over that that bay. Yeah. It just feels so good. Yeah. So um, we make Jake, Jakey boy. Uh, yeah. What do you th what do you think about Jake uh, in general? I guess. Oh, I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I think yeah. I I have not watched enough of his movies. Um, we before we were going to do this one, we actually discussed another one of his. We discussed Nightcrawler, which I'm a big fan of, and I know you are too. Oh yeah. Um, and that almost, you know, I think I think we almost we were like, dude, yeah, that's a good idea. But then you said Zodiac, and it was like, nope, this is happening. I was like, no, <laughs> Zodiac is like, you have you have hit a button you don't even know. Like I've got to <laughs> talk about this, man. I've got to. Uh, my girlfriend. Lindsay, she'll, uh, you know, and even her, she'll, you know, she's gotten invested in this and thinking, no, it's definitely this guy and, and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, we've had our own opinions and discussions about it. And it's just, it's just so interesting. Um, 
Uh, and, and also some other, I, I read a book by a man named Earl Van Best Jr., and he claims that his father, Earl Van Best, was the Zodiac. Uh, and I read that book, and uh, it, it wasn't very long. It just took a couple of days to read. But there there is some good evidence, but it's nothing like what they have against Arthur Leal. And it is interesting. It's called The Most Dangerous Game of All. Uh, it's by Earl Van Best Jr. I, you know, a lot of people have come out and just made bullshit claims, you know, to make money or to profit from this, which is fucking disgusting. I, you know, I, I like at, to people who claim that, uh, you know, there's people who have come out and said that their father or an uncle or so and so was was Zodiac. You know, if if it's a, if it's something that you think and it's just wrong, that's one thing. But people who are doing it specifically to profit from it, it's like that's. That that uh, that's just the worst kind of person, I think, to just you know uh, profit off of the, you know. It's a, terrible, it's, man. Yeah, it's these shit. people's it's, misery. Uh, it's the lowest of the low. Like you might right. as well be the serial killer at that point. Yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, like like you said, we're introduced to Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, and his little boy. I love that. He's like, all right, spit it out. I swallowed it. <laughs> I didn't brush it. <laughs> it's like what? It was minty. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't do that. That's bad for you. Yeah. Um. Uh, just an interesting little piece of trivia. Uh, budget was sixty-five million dollars on this movie. What do you think it made back at the box office internationally? Oh boy, I didn't. I didn't really see that. Um, I usually I do look into that kind of stuff, but I, I didn't see it this time. Just take take a whack, take a guess. Uh, are we going super high or super low? I don't know, man. That's up to you. <laughs> sixty-five. I'm going to say maybe two hundred, one fifty. I'll 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 sit. I'll sit at. Uh, actually, no, because this wasn't really that well known, dude. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna go lower. I'll say maybe ninety. Ooh, 100. nice, eighty-four. Yeah, I'm gonna. Oh, eighty-four. That's good, man. You were you're on your toes. This should be a yeah. trivia thing we do every week now. <laughs> is guess the budget and what it made back. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm down for that, dude. Because like seriously, I I love talking numbers. I don't know why. That's like completely like opposite to what a lawyer is <laughs> um but yeah uh yeah 84 off a 65 million dollar budget that's okay it's good i mean you definitely broke even you made some profit um but it's not like you know let's get zodiac sequels out there <laughs> right yeah absolutely especially two hour and 45 minute long oh, yeah. um but yeah so like uh, we're we're introduced to jake gyllenhaal and, and you know, i think at this point, I believe, uh, uh, you know, he's portraying Robert Graysmith. Robert Graysmith is, I think, divorced, and he has this child, and his wife is expecting their second child. But at this point, I think they were, I think they were divorced. I could be wrong, though. I'm not 100. Uh, percent He might have had. A, I, th- I know he has three children, uh, so I, I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure how uh, what their ages are and all that stuff. It's not really important. Um, but yeah, just him dropping the kid off at school, you know, learn a lot. I love that. You know, he seems like such a good dad. I get a g- really great feeling from oh, him. Oh yeah, for sure, man. And Jake um, Gyllenhaal plays it so straight and so well. Like he's so, um, he's so believable as Gray Smith here. I mean, I don't know. I couldn't tell you what who Gray Smith is. Like, I mean, I I don't know. You've read the book, so I don't really know who he is or how he is. But you kind of get the sense of who he is from Jake really well. Yeah, that definitely. Like what they say, kind of later on in the movie, that that you know, oh, Gray Smith, he's a fucking Boy Scout, you know, mm. and it's like that. It definitely feels like that, you know. And you would have to be to go to the end that this guy went to, you know, to solve this. He just wanted, 
you know, maybe he, you know, maybe he did profit from it. And I think that he studied so much into it that, I mean, who wants to see all of that information, that wealth of information to just go down the toilet because somebody can't, you know, the, the police department is unable to, to solve this. It's like, well, let's put this out to the public and see who can solve this. Let's draw some interest up and maybe we can figure this thing out. And I mean, the guy has made, I mean, I, I believe, a, uh, I believe a seven figure deal off of this movie. Um, I, you know, and, and, and yeah, and uh, if I could be wrong, six or seven figures is what I heard. You know, the guy, the, his two books, Zodiac and Zodiac Unmasked. Uh, the first Zodiac is very good. I suggest anybody read it. Zodiac Unmasked is good, but it kind of stretches some things. You know, you could tell that I don't think he needed to put out like a second book, like maybe put out an expanded version of the first one, but not like not a whole other book. There's there's definitely some stretches of, of you know, you got to make a few jumps to believe some stuff in the second book. Um, but it's still it's still a good book nonetheless. But basically, you know, uh, he's a cartoonist for the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, he's on his way. I love it. Driving the doodle and somebody honks. Oh, and he just, yeah. you know, <laughs> loses it. Uh, and a great visual showing us exactly what it is that he does. You know, we get a close up of um, of the doodles and, you know, drawing in the car on the way to work. You know, it's like it is, you kind of almost get the feeling like he's a little bit of a procrastinator. You know, <laughs> it's like it's, mm. uh, and there's chronic, you know, chronically people go through the movie. Robert, don't you have a deadline? Robert, are you done? You're not finished <laughs> yet. You know, there's always that that kind of pull on him. It seems like at the at the Chronicle. Um but yeah, and I love as we're following him to work, we're following the mail room cart that uh, the first Zodiac Such letter. Such a good shot, man. Yeah, it looks it's so great. And, uh, you know, he's getting the coffee from that guy short. He has a coffee today, and he just thumbs the sign. It's coffee, mm. delicious as hell. Um, but there's kind of I think a really good shot as as he's coming in, and this you know we're we're kind of cutting in between him coming to work and the the following the mail cart that will eventually deliver the first Zodiac letter. As he's walking past, you know, uh, Paul Avery, who's played by our boy RDJ, Robert Downey Jr., um, as he's walking past him, you know, here's I, – I think it really speaks to their personalities because here's Gray Smith, you know, just walking straight to his desk, getting stuff done, you know, and there's there's Paul Avery, his feet up on his desk, you know, oh, talking, yeah. everybody kind of bullshitting and stuff, and, and he kind of looks like he's trying to listen in. You know, he, he's kind of got a look on his face like, hey, yeah, what is – you know, what yeah, what are they talking about? Um, but I think that really speaks to their kind of uh, kind of like their their work habits and their personalities, especially right. in two the very two of, very different people. Right. Yeah. Uh, one thing that is kind of funny in real life, they were not friends. Like not like they disliked each other, but oh. it was just it was never. This is kind of it's basically fictionalized. They obviously worked together and obviously had to have some kind of communication, but they were not. You know, hey, let's go get some drinks and hang out and blah blah blah. Um, and I think that yeah, they do a good job of that later on when their relationship kind of devolve, uh, dissolves and, you know, it, I was like, okay, well, I guess that makes sense because they were yeah, real life. Even, were... even here at the start, there is a little bit of animosity there. Um, you know, you, you don't get a sense that they are friends. I, don't, I didn't really get a sense that they are friends the whole way through, to be honest. I mean, you know, I did get the sense that they were work colleagues and they were collaborating. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they definitely do their animosity pretty well. Right. It definitely, yeah, there's definitely a kind of, um, you know, they are polar opposites. I could see these guys being, uh, you know, it, it, the crazy part is that Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, I was going to say I could see these guys being opposites in a comic book hero villain, you know, uh, protagonist, <laughs> antagonist. But obviously with RDJ being Iron Man and Jake Gyllenhaal in talks to be Batman, maybe, you know, with the <laughs> Matt Reeves movies. And he was, I believe, originally 
um, almost cast as Spider-Man. Um, and I think they were, uh, after the first movie, they were going to ditch Tobey Maguire due to a back injury. And they were going to put Jake Gyllenhaal in to do Spider-Man 2. But apparently Tobey Maguire bounced back in time. Um, but I really look forward to seeing the day that Jake Gyllenhaal is in some type of superhero film. I think he's good for it. And I think he. I think he. Sh- I, I really hope he does do it. But I don't blame him if he doesn't. He's. He, I think he's. I feel like a lot of people do the comic book movies to get up into something else. Yeah. Um, and I think he's kind of past that point as an actor. That's just my opinion of it. I'm not an actor, you know. But I feel like you know doing Nightcrawler and Zodiac and. Brokeback Mountain, you know, these are not movies that are, you know, uh, just, oh, yeah, let's go see, you know, just a family-friendly movie. You know, these are great, great films. These are really films. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely I like him a lot in this. And, um, yeah. Just while, we're on, just while we're on um, Iron Man, uh, I think it's it's we should note that, you know, this is 2007, Iron Man came out 2008. So Danny Jr., this was actually the start of his comeback. Um, yeah. he'd, he'd fallen out of Hollywood pretty spectacularly. Yeah. Uh, lots of lots of issues with drug and alcohol and like stuff that he doesn't like to talk about. There's actually a great interview online on YouTube that he just completely walks off. He just oh, I've off. seen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, great. If, he just completely yeah. walks off because they talk about his father and things like that. Um, but yeah, man, this is this is the the rebirth of of Robert Downey Jr., who is now one of the highest paid actors out there. Um, but like, not even just Iron Man, dude. Like, because uh, the year following this, probably at the same time, they might have been shooting this. Um, Tropic Thunder. He was nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> oh my god, I did. I yeah. didn't know that. I, I I just now saw that movie probably a year ago. Oh, and dude, one of my favorite comedies of all time. <laughs> it's 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 pretty good, man. I, I like it a lot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I'm a big fan of Robert Downey Jr. I like Robert Downey Jr. a lot. And you're right. This is right before the comeback and everything kind of coming back into place for him. Um, and you know, just after you, that interview you were talking about, it's fantastic. You know, he, 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 to see a human being like so close to just, he looks like he just wants to jump across the chair and just strangle that guy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fantastic. He's just like, he's just like, what are we, I thought we were, he's like, I thought we were promoting the movie here. What are we doing here? Like, you know, right. he, yeah. he does confidence so well. He's so good at confidence. Um, and that really comes across in this, in this role. Um, and it comes across obviously as Tony Stark, you have to be confident, right? You have to be cocky. Yeah. And Sherlock um, Holmes. Oh dude, seriously. Sherlock Holmes is two years after this. Like it was so, his comeback is ridiculous. Um, and they announced um, that they were doing Dr. Doolittle a couple months yeah. ago. Um, I think it's an animated an animated flick um, and he's playing Dr. Doolittle um, along with an insane cast, dude. Have you seen that cast? It's insane. Yeah, it's got like Craig Robinson and Aziz Ansari. Uh, like it's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're basically circling back. <laughs> yeah, circling back. Um, we uh, we we come to an editorial meeting at the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, basically, Paul Avery is, I believe, one of their lead reporters. Um, you know, they're just basically just setting down for the day, outlining the paper. I believe the this is kind of like the end of day. The new the new edition is uh, kind of off the floor in maybe an hour or so. I think. 
Um, but as they're sitting there talking, uh, and you know, we get the introduction of Robert Downey Jr., you know, he's like, what's on the crime? He's like, oh, Janice left the fondue party before everyone got naked. What a crime. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 he's so, like you said, he, he does portray that almost like borderline arrogant so well that, but you know, it's just charming. It charms the pants right off you. You know, right. it's just, he's, he's so, he's so great. Um, and that's when I believe, uh, uh, Carol Fisher, I believe that's her name. I could be wrong. I definitely know it's Carol, Carol. That's when she comes in with the letter, uh, to the, uh, uh to the editor. Uh, yeah. And it's, and a lot of these are exact photocopies of the Zodiac, the actual Zodiac letters, the handwriting, everything is exactly, I mean, that is, that is the Zodiac letter. You're looking at a copy of it. It's exactly how it looks. Um, and then it, you know, he, he's basically going on about, you know, dear editor, this is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman uh, on the on the Fourth of July at the golf course in Vallejo. To prove it, I shall name some. I shall state some facts of which only the police and I know. And he goes through the type of ammo, how she was found, you know, things that really only the uh, really only the killer could know. Um, and goes on uh, about uh, the couple that he killed. Uh, the the first couple that he mentions is uh, Mike Michaud and uh, Darlene Farron. Uh, and the second couple, I believe, is uh, David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, he's giving extremely detailed, you know, 10 shots were fired. The girl was found with her back this way. And I love the publisher. The guy is just like, I, ca- I can't finish reading this. And he hands it off to the editor. He's like, you read it, you know. And it, 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 you can see it having a volatile effect on him. And he's like, I, no, I can't read that. Um, but, but, yeah, to um, – to, and this is this seems almost really unprecedented. I'm not saying this has never happened before, but this guy writing in letters con- confessing to the murders and demanding that they print more, or he's going to go on a murder rampage and kill 12 people over the weekend. Uh, he's also sent them a cipher, uh, kind of a so kind of a coded message, and, and he says that he has stated his name within the cipher. Um, that found later that that's found out to be false. He's never, you know, he just obviously wouldn't give his name up. Um, you know, just, just, uh, you know, you know, the serial killer kind of mind, it seems like is prone to wanting to get caught, but at the same time, you can't just give yourself away like that. Um, I guess he likes the thrill of the chase kind of thing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, he talks about how literally I quote, I will cruise around all weekend killing lone people in the night. God damn, man, this guy. And he signed... Yeah, he signed it with the zodiac symbol, which Danny thinks it looks like a gun sight. Yeah, like it. Yeah, you know, just to think about this, like, uh, it's just it's like a wolf out on the hunt for people. You know, just just driving around and not like, oh, you're out in the woods. Oh, you're somewhere secluded. No, you're in the middle of fucking San Francisco. You're in one of the biggest cities in the in in the well, I don't want to say in the world, but it, I mean in the U.S. And you know, you're being hunted like like you're out in the middle of nowhere. You're like that's insane. Um, but we immediately see Robert Graysmith kind of has an inclination to start writing, you know, jotting this cipher down. Um, yeah, and they're they're yeah they're debating about whether to give you know do we want to give the sick bastard a soapbox? It's like you know this this is where we could be setting a really bad precedent. You know, trying to publish this person's letters and giving into their demands. You know, should we do this? Should we not do this? Uh, there's also a um, uh, they're, 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 not only is there one letter sent to the uh, San Francisco Chronicle, but there's also one sent to the Times Herald, and in, I can't remember the last name. I, I, I this is probably going to happen a lot. I do know a lot of dates and names, but I mean, it just it gets to a point where there's a lot to take in, and it gets really hard to com- commit all of that to memory. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's super you know super interesting to see exactly how uh, you know he demands to have all of this printed on the front page, you know, or he'll or he'll shoot all these people, uh, and it's it's just absolutely astounding, even by you know by today's standards that he get that they gave into that. You know, nowadays, hell no, you know, nobody's going to do that because you know you're just giving into this killer's demands and thinking that this is going to be something you know that's it's going to help co- you know, cool things off and and calm things down. It's newsworthy, yeah, but. I don't think that, you know, you need to be giving this guy a soapbox. I don't think it's a good idea um, to kind of give them a, like, I, I fully understand what they're, what they're saying here about giving him a soapbox and sort of saying, hey, yeah, this is what I'm doing, because it might, it might uh, attract copycats. It might attract, uh, you know, uh, it'll, it'll create chaos, you know, it's, it's something, it's insane. It's. It's putting a, a psycho on on the front page. It's putting him like in the limelight, um, and pretty much essentially also telling him, "Hey, look, we're going to give you this. Uh, we'll we'll bend to your will. You know, we'll give in to your demands." Yeah, right. It's you're right. It's a, it sets a dangerous precedent. Um, right. But yeah, we cut to uh, Paul Avery uh, ca- calling Sergeant Jack Molinax, who's played by Elias Cotiez. He's head of a, a sergeant at the Vallejo Police Department, uh, where the murders of David Fairdane and Betty Lou Jensen happened. Uh, he's also got Eli Cotius. He's been and uh, he was Casey Jones in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He's in uh, Fallen with Denzel yeah. Washington. He's he's a he's a good actor. He's a great actor. Uh, this movie's you know, got a lot of really good talent behind it. Um, so yeah, basically, um, uh, basically, yeah, they, they get Paul to confirm the murders that happened in Vallejo. Uh, and yeah, they've, as, as he comes into the office, they're also talking, um, uh, the, they're, t- they're talking about the Times Herald, you know, they've, they've got it, you know, they think they're going to run it. Um, you know, there's, there's not really a whole lot of debate that happens in the, you know, like it, it seems like there might be debate for a minute on whether they should run it or not, but it seems right away that, um, you know, all, all three newspapers are planning on, uh, are, are, are planning on, on, are, are planning on publishing it and, um, and seeing exactly, you know, who is going to be able to crack this cipher and if this will help at all, uh, which is, uh, again, something, something maybe kind of dangerous, but, um, who knows if it might have actually helped in in the long run if it did actually you know because uh, I believe it's a couple from um, it was like a math teacher I think uh, a, a, a math teacher and her husband or or vice versa I'm not 100 percent sure but they basically wound up being the ones who cracked it so I guess it did help put, putting it in a in a in a in the paper to some degree um, but. Um, but yeah, this it's it's just super interesting because something like this is, is kind of unprecedented and hasn't ever really been done before. Uh, you know, somebody calling in and and uh, demanding you know that these these uh, these 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 murders be reported about, uh, especially you know him being it seems like Zodiac's really like a press junkie, um, and it's 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 uh, that that definitely I think finds out to be true later on. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so basically, uh, coming back around again, um, he uh, he confirms that the the murders have happened. Sergeant Jack Mullinax is like, oh god, you guys got one too. Uh, Vallejo uh, Police Department uh, again confirms confirms the murder. Uh, the Times Herald got a letter 
uh, I believe it's the San Francisco Examiner, maybe that got the um, that got the other letter. Yeah, the the Examiner got the other letter, um, and uh, basically the, the uh, they're they're willing to publish it, but they're not going to go on front page like Zodiac has asked. Um, or Zodiac has demanded, like he asked anything. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's absolutely nuts to see um, to see them at the last minute replate their template for what they're going to publish that day and give in to this person's demands. Like this is kind of kind of crazy. Um, and then you've got Robert Graysmith, this cartoonist coming in, you know, trying to hey, can you you know they're like give us give us just a minute. You know, we're trying to figure this out real quick. Um, and basically the publisher says, we'll go on page four. You know, they call it a day. They all start leaving and, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr., you know, hey, 20 bucks or whoever cracks the psycho's name, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal, he's, he's not going to give his name. And he's totally, absolutely right. Um, it, it's, 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 it, it kind of ends up being the thing that brings them together, you know, after the, after the letters go out and, um, and people start, uh, taking a look at it and Robert Graysmith puts the, the cipher up at home. Uh, on the on the little pin board, you know, so you can look at it and goes and he rents the Code Breakers book. You know, this guy right off the bat was just super interested in this and super um, invested in wanting to see what it is. Apparently, he was just a big fa- fan of puzzles and riddles. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It was just one of those naturally sort of uh, obsessed people, <laughs> you know, who he just wants to solve something. I do like um, this this shot of like him walking past. Um, the, the bar Morty's bar mm-hmm. and all of all of the guys are in there it, it really it's just like a small thing to kind of add to who Robert Graysmith was um, he was a bit I guess he was a bit of a loner um, you know he kind of kept to himself right yeah it definitely seems like he was not the let's go out and have you know a few drinks after work kind of guy you know this is a guy with you know was divorced with three kids so I guess you really don't have maybe a lot of time for stuff like that um, but yeah we cut to uh, so, uh, there's a there's a few there's a few institutes that actually end up are given the cipher. Um, I believe they the FBI, CIA, and NSA. Right. Thank you. Um, and the the irony in the, the, them showing you know all these men sitting around tables smoking cigarettes and you know drinking their coffee with their white shirts on and black ties and yeah we're gonna crack this thing and it just cuts to this couple you know sitting there it literally you know it's like CIA you know. Uh, headquarters in in Washington, and and it cuts to twelve hours later, Salinas, California, the breakfast nook of Donald and Betty Harden. <laughs> and the, these two people are really the ones who wind up cracking the Zodiac, uh, the first the uh, the first cipher. Um, and then you know that's 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 just absolutely nuts to see. You know, right away you've got public involvement helping this thing. Uh, which which definitely seems to be a running theme, you know, when the police goes a long way. Yeah, yeah the police were just scratching their heads, like you know, we, we got to have some help with this thing. Um, so yeah, the couple the, the couple ends up cracking the code, and that's where we get our first interactions between Robert Downey Jr. and Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, you know, he's immediately like, yeah, you know, he wouldn't. He, you're right, he didn't give his name away, and he gives him the 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 kind of I guess the deciphered code, if you want to say. Um, which you know basically goes on about you know a, a wanting to hunt people, um, and you know, man man is the most dangerous game of all, and this is all really going to come back again later when they start referencing um, uh, when they start referencing the, the, the a, a film that apparently the Zodiac was a big fan this of. This is um, this is crazy, dude. This whole idea of man being the, the most dangerous game, mm-hmm. um, like that that right there is like some full on serial killer thinking. Um, 
what was oh I'm gonna talk about uh, so back back in the days when I used to watch Supernatural <laughs> uh, I can't believe that shit's still going it's on like it's 13 season or some shit yeah um, season one had this absolutely brilliant episode um, it's called, it was titled The Benders um, and essentially the whole episode you're thinking it's kind of like this X-Files vibe like you're thinking okay I wonder what this supernatural thing is that's hunting them and it's actually humans like it's just straight humans who literally capture them capture the two the two brothers and like let them sort of fend for themselves and they go hunting for them um which plays into the whole man is the most dangerous game right yeah it's it's absolutely terrifying just to think of you know just just hunting down yeah yeah just hunting down human beings for fun um yeah and I believe there was um that that kind of sentiment was in the Silence of the Lambs as well, right? There was one point where they talk about man being the most dangerous game. Yeah, I th- I think so. It's been a while since I've seen it. I haven't seen it like recently, uh. But yeah, I, I definitely yeah I I definitely trust your memory because I, I I haven't seen it <laughs> uh I I haven't seen it recently enough to tell you. Um, but I love yeah they they give Robert Graysmith the the cracked code and he there's all these jumble of letters on the bottom of it. Yeah, just this random, you know, uh, Paul Avery says it might be an anagram. He's just kind of looking at this jumble of letters and immediately starts writing out words that they could possibly be. You know, just just uh, just immediately looking over and writing out names, writing out, you know, anything he think could that can possibly make any sense. Because I've always thought this was kind of odd that they cracked the code, but there was this random jumble of letters afterwards. And I was like, oh, that is kind of weird. You know, it could just it's be like f- leftovers, right? It could just be filler. You know, because they, they was just you know had to write a complete code. Um, but I, you know, there, I, I don't think there's really any debate that this was definitely the the right code. You know, because the the way that things would pop up, you know, it, it was just way too. Um, you know, just just again, you start with the double L's and you kind of just work your way from there, as they say yeah. later on. It's kind of interesting. They um, explain it really well. It's very logical. Right, yeah, exactly how they crack it. Um, but yeah, so they're called in for an editorial. There's another letter, um, you know, more of the same. You know, they find out that he taped a flashlight to the gun, and that's how he, uh, that's how he shot his victims in the dark. And this is the, actually the first time that he gives his name, dear editor. This is the Zodiac speaking, and it's like, oh my god, uh, that is infamous. You know, that that that, that just the, dear. You know, this is the Zodiac speaking. It's just in so many things related to the Zodiac. And, and, so iconic now, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, after that, we cut to, uh, I believe her name was Celia Shepard and Brian Hartnell. Uh, this is the Lake Berryessa attack. This Th- might be the most iconic sort of sequence, I think, in this whole movie. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very, this, I can't describe to you how effective this whole sequence is. No, yeah, um, yeah, to- no, I, I, dude, it's... It, it bothers me. It's kind of a part that it's I... It's so disturbing. I have watched this movie several times, and I've definitely more or less tried to skip this part. Like I've seen, yeah. I've seen it enough, and I like I was in the I was in the middle of uh, a Barnes and Noble here. It's like this Barnes and Noble in Australia. No, but I've heard of it. I mean, I've been to I've been to the states a couple times. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I, it's one of my favorite stores. <laughs> I love it. Um, but, For those that don't know, it's a bookstore. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's a bookstore, and they've got you know movies, all types of stuff there, um, and you know they've got their coffee shop. So I went and got a cup of coffee, and I'm on my lunch break, and I started reading this first Zodiac book, and right about this part, I got 
like sick. Like I had to get mm-hmm. up and go outside and like get some air because I can't, you know, just the, the detailed descriptions of how, you know, he attacked these people. I was like, whew, man, it was, it was just, you know, there's, I can handle a lot of things, but I just can't handle, you know, the detailed description of two people being stabbed. It's like, God, no, I, I got like lightheaded and had to walk around exactly. and get out of there. It, it got me. Exactly. And the, and the film will do that to you as well. Um, you know, basically this, this young couple sitting up there on, uh, on the bank of this Lake Berryessa and out of out of nowhere, here comes this man head to toe in black, and he's got the zodiac symbol on his chest and a gun pointed at him, and he kind of catches him off guard. You know, she's trying to warn him. You know, she's like, "Hey, there's someone else here." Well, it is a public place. She's like, "He's behind. Yeah, you know, he's behind a tree." Oh, well, he's taking the leak. You know, and it's very unsettling the way it's shot. I mean, like this. This is the the way this movie goes about this. This it could have been done another way it could have been done sort of very generically but the fact that we've got like again no music um you know it's it's very quiet all you can hear is like the birds and the the the, the whole nature and then they're just like talking and the sound of the the, the rustling trees and the, the wind um and then she just kind of looks over she just says somebody else is here yeah and then, He's like, it is public park. And then it just kind of like cuts to this, this random like tree, this random couple of trees just over this like little hill. And it's such a, like, it's such a weird shot. It's just, it's just something weird about it. It's very unsettling. It's very unconventional. And all of that just kind of adds to this whole atmosphere of like something's as beautiful as this place is, it's juxtaposed by something not being right here. Right. Yeah, absolutely. When you've got something like, I think that works really effective with sound as well. When you've got a song like, you know, stuck in the middle with you and Reservoir Dogs or like the whole, Oof. you know, tiptoe through the tulips with Insidious. Like you've got stuff that it really sticks in your craw because you've got this like juxtaposition to something so beautiful yeah. going on. And it's Two just, very different things. Yeah. Right. Especially with Unforgettable by Nat King Cole and Watchmen. I think whew, that is that is mm. a really, really fantastic scene. Um but yeah, basically Zodiac runs up on him and demands their car keys, uh, the wallet, um, and you know this guy's tr- kind of trying to help him out, and he's like, "Yeah, hey, yeah, I'm a sociology major. Like, I could I could write you a check. Like, do you need someone to talk to? Like, you know, it seems like he's really c- kind of trying to help him out. But this this guy uh, Brian Hartnell, you know, uh, says some things that just leave me scratching my head." Um, you know, r- right away, you know, and uh, the Zodiac is talking about how, you know, he escaped from a prison in Montana and shot a guard and he's not afraid to kill again. And, you know, Brian Hartnell's kind of, you know, like, oh, what, what was the name of that prison in Montana? You know, I'm not sure if he's just trying to keep him talking. But the whole mm. point of, you know, after he, he hog ties both of them and he's like, hey, just 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 in case anybody asks, is that thing even loaded? And I was like, why the fuck would you ask him that, dude? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, let me show you. Bang. You know, it's like that's the best way to show somebody if a gun's loaded. Yeah. It's like. Oh my God! Like, why would you sit there and 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 ask that? You know, why would you sit there and ask that of the person who just hogtied you and this woman that you're with and has you both at gunpoint? Like, you, I don't know. That's always baffled me, and that really happened. He actually a lot yeah. of that stuff is is exactly 100 percent what he said. I guess, yeah. I guess when it comes to like when it comes to true stories, um, there are always like these like weird things. Like, oh, why would you do that? But but then you like you're like, oh, it's weird because it's true. Right. Yeah. yeah. People. People are weird in situations like this. People act um, strangely sometimes, you know, and it's and it's something that only it really only happens in true stories, dude. Like, I mean, you know, it's it's like why would you do that kind of thing? Right. Yeah. Um, 
and again, like right you know, after he hogties them, we have this brutal. You know, he he stabs he uh, stabs Brian. Uh, you know, four or five, six times in the back, but definitely as uh, and just take my word for it. If you want to read about it, go ahead. If you got the stomach for it, but it was definitely Zodiac's mo to attack the women more, and uh, you know, kind of for, almost forget about the guys. Um, it, it's 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 kind of kind of shocking almost. Um, but I got, yeah. a, I got a question for you. Yo. So the way that he's presented here, and the way that Arthur Lee Allen is presented later. Do you think this is Arthur Arthur Leon? Like just just going off the movie. Um, I I don't know. You know, I I can't because honestly, I think that the phenomenon behind this was so big that you know I've I've kind of you know flopped around with the idea before that you know the person who murdered you know these two couples might just be a completely different person. And oh, I saw the Zodiac thing in the paper, so I made a Zodiac costume and started copycatting him. Like it's impossible to tell that. Now, at the same time, Arthur Lee Allen has been to Lake Berryessa and has been skin diving there before and knew about the place. Right. Yeah, but exactly. It's... That's what I'm saying. Like, there's a, there's a lot of things that's really. I mean, like, just going off this movie, I'm going to show my cards right now and say that I do think it was Arthur Lee Allen. <gasps> but again, yeah. <laughs> but again, I'm just going off this movie. I'm not. I don't have any any other research or anything like that because I'm a shit podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, no, you you but, um, yeah. The, the, yeah, your your Jurassic Park is my Zodiac. <laughs> just going off this movie dude I, I'm, I'm I'm gonna say I mean and I don't know if it was Finch's sort of like because again this is this is a, a telling of a true story from someone like it's a it's a it's a someone's point of view right so it's always gonna have um, some kind of um, I guess sort of that subjective kind of thing to it right like the, the it's it's always going to be leaning towards someone or something right it's, it's going to be leaning in one direction it's not it's not going to be impartial because it's someone's sort of take on, on on things right um so that being said i mean just the way the movie presents it i i have to think it's arthur lay allen dude like the way uh, I, I i don't there's not really that much connection between this scene and like later when um, Arthur Lee Allen's coming into it. But there's I, every time I watch this movie, I picture Arthur Lee Allen's well, the actor that portrays Arthur Lee Allen's um, Arthur Lee Allen. That's all I can picture in this scene. Yeah. Um, and then like he talks about, do you think this is true when he's like, I'm going to Mexico? Like I don't. No, I don't. I and that's that's some that's something else. Like, um, yeah, I th- I think that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think that just the, just because Darth Lee Allen happened to have gone to Lake Berryessa, you know, that's not enough. You know, you're, you're you, no, you know, of course yeah, not. it's like it's it's not enough to like pin it on him. But at the same time, um, the style of shoe that they found was a was a called wing walker shoes. They were uh, designed to walk on the sides of airplanes. Uh, I believe that Arthur Lee Allen was in the military for a short time, and so was his father. So they think actually right. it could have been. I believe his father was in the Air Force. I could be wrong. Go quote me on that. But it definitely, uh, you know, Arthur Lee Allen definitely had access to wing walker shoes. And this is. But then also finding also finding the weaponry as well. I mean, that comes in later. Yeah. In his possession, like it's it's. There's a lot of there's a lot of things like right, and the, the circumstantial evidence is just huge, and and there does yeah. unfortunately the major evidence that would convict somebody is on the total opposite side right. of the ring. Exactly, it's, it, none yeah. of it none of it is 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 good for them. But you know, do I think it's Arthur Lee Allen? Probably, but God, we could sit here and have this conversation all day. You know, <laughs> and I, I could talk about this all day, but. 
Uh, probably, I think it is. You know, it's strictly based off the Wing Walker shoes. They found the imprint there, and they said the imprint would have been of a man who's about Arthur Lee Allen's height and weight, right. just based on the impression in the ground. Um, but yeah, after after this brutal attack on on the two of them, she just like with uh, Mike Majau and uh, or Mike Majau or Majau, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. But between um, him and uh, Darlene Farron, same thing as before. She dies. Uh, you know, the the male victim survives, um, which is definitely something in the mo. They think that Zodiac just, you know, has has a kind of contentious, I guess, hateful attitude towards women, and you know, def- apparently in his psych profile, would have had major issues with his mother, which Arthur Lee Allen actually kind of had, um, which is kind of interesting to note, but. Yeah, uh, you know, on the side of their car, he's got the dates written of the David Faraday, uh, Betty Lou Jensen murders, the Darling Fair and Mike Michelle murders, and then the murders of this one written on the side of the car, um, which is just like God. It's got to be as a cop walking up and seeing that, just so aggravating. Like fuck you, like dude, you like oh right. my god, like uh, ugh. um. But- this is the shot's so cool. I love this shot of the car, of the, the the camera just panning down to the car. Right. Yeah, and that truck kind of stopping in the road, and yep, I guess that's the first person to find, uh, to find them. Um, but yeah, we cut to Robert Graysmith and Paulie. Oh Reese. wait, you forgot to mention the phone call. Oh, I'm sorry. I totally like. Yeah. I I just I totally spaced. No, I, uh, we got a we got a we got a shot of um of the the male victim um and he's just kind of like wrapped in a blanket and over the over the sound you get the phone call, just uh pretty much confessing. Right, yeah. Again, you know, taunting, taunting investigators and police, and uh, yeah, trying to. I don't know. You always feel like Zodiac was trying to make himself out more than make himself to be more than he really was. Like this is the a little. I feel like it's a little man who wanted to be a big man for just one day. That's what it feels like, and it feels like you know this just had to have the notor the notoriety for this. Um, and it's it's you know just kind of a sick game to him really. Um, but yeah, that that whole calling calling the police again and confirming of the murder and um, yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely brutal. That's the most brutal part of the movie, hands down, as the as that murder. And I think that really really kind of drives it home that this is not you know this is not something to be taken lightly. These are people who were you know their lives ended violently, and it's it, it's not something that you know. Yeah, this is a movie you're watching about the events, but this is not just entertainment. It is entertainment, but this is, you know, we're not just going to walk away from it, you know, saying like, oh, yeah, no, this is just strictly, you know, this is just strictly entertainment. Like, you need to understand these are real things that happened. And it's like, oh, man. And I think that that part really brings the brutality in um, and it kind of bring, yeah, reminds you, oh, yeah, yeah, this is not this is not as entertaining as I remember. Like, this is something awful that happened to people because I feel like that with some true crime that we get desensitized to it and we forget that these are real people that this happened to and it becomes almost more like pseudo entertainment. Um, it's like, oh god, you know, like I I can't I can't watch forensic files and stuff like that. I feel like I'm just watching other people's misery as like entertainment. You know, if it's unsolved or something like unsolved mysteries, I'll watch the shit out of that show. You know, it's like just just because it's unsolved, like dude, what happened? You know, I want to know. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I can't. I don't know. There's something about it. It just makes me. I I did watch them for a long time, and then I was like. Man, these are kind of, a they're depressing as shit, you know. And then B, I, I don't I don't like I don't know I'm not helping these people at all. I don't feel very good about watching, you know, just their lives get ruined. I don't like, eh, I don't I don't really want to watch that. 
Um, yeah, they're not they're not my idea of a good time for sure. Right. Um, but yeah, so we cut to uh, uh, what I was saying before. Paul Avery sitting there with Robert Gray Smith. Uh, they're just uh, kind of talking about the. Uh, you know, t- t- uh, uh, no, sorry, Robert Graysmith is actually drawing the composite of Zodiac, which is what, I mean, pretty much everybody would have based, uh, would have based his appearance on it, like Berryessa, uh, because it's not like there's any known, it's not like there's any known photographs, you know, um, this is all based off of Robert Graysmith's, uh, drawings, which are based off of the, um, you know, the, the first, the firsthand account of Brian Hartnell, um, but yeah, I love I love as he as he's sitting there and he's drawing that he's drawing that composite uh, or you know drawing basically uh, what Brian Hartnell described uh, you know and Robert Downey Jr. is kind of sitting there talking and, and you know you just see the hand of Jake Gyllenhaal you know kind of sketching away and and and, and doing his drawing um, and what I, what I love is is right away it did sh- or it shows you know Robert Downey Jr. kind of standing there. Um, talking to him, you know, yeah, we got two Vallejo killings. Now there's one in Napa. Why Napa? You know, what the hell is going out uh, out in Vallejo? Sweet mother of Christ, what are you drawing? <laughs> like he looks down, like Jesus His Christ. His reaction is, uh, he's so good, man. Uh, like Danny Jr. is just, he's just got a skill. He's just, he's so good naturally. Yes, I love that. And that guy, Paul, your story's not done. Hey, it's done. I just got to type it up. Well, it's not done till you typed it up, you know. And right then, Graysmith has the lightning bolt, you know, idea and gets up and runs off, you know. And, of course, Robert Downey Jr. is like, so is he medicated or, like, touched or something? I'm like, Graysmith? No, he's a fucking Boy Scout, you know. Doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, doesn't curse. And he comes running back with the most dangerous game, the book. Uh, it's a movie about Count Zoroff. I think it was a book at first. I'm not sure who the author was, um, but the the film was from the black and white uh, era. Uh, and Count Zoroff, who would wait for people to crash on this island and get shipwrecked. And I, I read a segment of it in high school. It was in one of our books. Um, but it was, it was super interesting. You know, basically this Count Zoroff is hunting this guy the whole time on the island and it's quite good it, it actually is kind of a uh, kind of a good book uh, even though it might have inspired the the sick motherfucker we're talking about right now oh. um but it's definitely worth checking out uh and that's where robert graysmith kind of draws the conclusion that this person must be a fan of this movie and must be a fan of this book um and i love robert down jr's reaction is that zaroff with a z you know it's like that's <laughs> kind of you know that's kind of odd um but yeah um and you know, just kind of moving right, moving right along right after that, because it's such a small scene. Um, we cut to the murder of Paul Stein, uh, who was a cab driver, I believe, in college. You know, he's just working a job, doing fares, trying to pay his way through college, and wound up being. And it's kind, it's kind of odd, you know. Like this is the the odd thing is that we have murders of people who are couples, of uh, people who maybe if this is Arthur Lee Allen, that Arthur Lee Allen would have known. This cabbie, I mean, he has no connection to. He doesn't know who he is. He has no reason to murder him. You know, there's just, it just I guess, just for whatever reason, just wanted to murder him. But this is... So weird, man. Right. It's just like, it, it feels so, it feels so like it's not a part of the the, the, the pattern. It, it just, it just com- feels completely random, comes out of nowhere. The first time I remember seeing this, I was like, holy shit, that happened? Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, just before we get to that, man, I, I need to talk about this shot. <laughs> this, this, this shot of um, the, the taxi just driving through the street. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's just like an overhead shot. And as it turns, the camera turns as well. The, the, it, it turns with it. 
and it's so perfect and clinical and i have no idea how he did this to be honest like this looks like this is obviously it's not a drone it can't be a drone it's way too perfect it, it looks like it might actually be a miniature like a minute like they built like a miniature sort of like taxi hmm. and just kind of somehow on like on rails had like a camera that kind of moved through it i don't quote me on this because i have no idea that this is true <laughs> but it, it just it looks this this absolutely is my favorite shot in the movie um, I just love the way the lights just reflect off the street and the way the camera just turns with the, the taxi. It's just absolutely perfect, man. Yeah, the street shots are fantastic. My, my favorite one is actually coming up with the murder of Paul Stein, like when it's Mark Ruffalo just kind of looking out into the street, and there's this beautiful yeah. shot of, of, of downtown San Francisco. Um, but, yeah, this, this murder just makes no sense, uh, and it is definitely a Zodiac murder. He sent these clippings of Paul Stein's shirt to a few people. So this is definitely a Zodiac murder. There's no there's no doubt about it. Uh, and this is kind of how also we get our intro to Mark Ruffalo's character uh, with the murder. The Hulk. Of, with, yeah, the Hulk. Um, with the with the with the murder of Paul Stein. Um, basically, you know, he he puts the car in park, waits for Paul, you know, you know, grabs Paul Stein by the collar and shoots him in the back of the head. Uh, and yeah, a few eyewitnesses called a few kids who happened to be at the house, uh, that the car was parked in front of. Um, and yeah, there's a fight in a cab, please hurry. Right. Yeah. And they think it's just, you know, two drunk guys fighting or something. Um, but yeah, the, the worst part about this incident, I think, uh, obviously besides the murder was the fact that the original, uh, all po- all points bulletin all all points bu- bulletin APB that went out was for a Negro male, a black guy, mm, and it yeah. was like, oh my god, like how did that even happen? Like how 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 does your? I mean, that's literally the description. Like how is how has that happened? How is that your 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 description? How did that? You know, how is that? You know, the the kids don't ever describe him in the police phone call. I don't think. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how that information came to pass, but that that information m- may have very well let Zodiac slip right through their fingertips. Oh, yeah, um, right, right through the cracks, man. Like, the, the cops walk straight past him. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they drove straight past him, you know. Um, it's just it's just one of those things, man. Like, it's one of those real-life things that just that happens, and it's just I, I have no idea. But, hey, it was the 60s, so let's blame the black guy. Yeah, right, exactly. That's that's what it feels like. That's definitely what it feels like. Um, and, you know, those cops in real life, you know, like you were talking about, those police officers drove right past him. Uh, I believe they actually stopped him and were like, hey, did you see a Negro male yeah, going you know, this direction? Yeah, yeah, and he was like, yeah, they went that way and just drove off. And I was like, oh, my God, like that's 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 just insane, you know, that he went he walked so right past you. Um but yeah, we're also introduced. Uh, not only were we introduced to Mark Ruffalo, who's playing uh, uh, Inspector Dave, Dave Toski. Um, yeah. We're also introduced to his partner named Bill Armstrong, uh, who is played by, I believe, Anthony Anthony Edward or Anthony Edwards. I could be saying that wrong. Uh, I, th- I think it's Anthony Edward. I can't read my own handwriting. Um, but yeah, and this guy's fan. I mean, I love Mark Ruffalo as Dave Toski, but uh, but. But but Armstrong is fantastic. He he he's, he's one of my really favorite good. parts yeah. in the movie. Honestly, um, I love his portrayal of him and his attitude. Uh, you know, it's just it's just great. Um, but yeah, they pull up on the scene. We've got the whole thing with you know the whole hey, you got my animal crackers. You know, blah blah blah. Um, you know that that whole thing. 
Um, and it's 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 great right off the bat. We see these guys kind of having a, a great rapport with each other, even though waking you up. They've got great chemistry, man. They're like seriously. Uh, when they get to the crime scene, it's your birthday. I'll take the body. Yeah, right. Uh, and speaking of painstaking detail, there is a dent in the driver's side door of Paul Stein's cab in real life and in the film. It's like, good oh. God, like a painstaking detail that didn't even matter. And it's like, just the, you know, just good God. Um, a little bit of trivia for you, real quick. Do you know who they almost actually got to play Robert Downey Jr.'s part, Paul Avery? No. They looked at Brad Pitt and Daniel Craig. Ooh. Yeah, wow. which I'm not going to lie. I think they would have done a phenomenal job, but, I, I man, no, nobody's RDJ. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, exactly. No- Nobody. Uh, seriously, when, when, when RDJ's contract is up for Marvel, I have no idea, like, what they're going to do. Like, they're not going to replace him, I don't think. So they're just going to go and start a new one um, because you can't have another Tony Stark. You can't have another... I, I, I don't see anyone else playing Paul Avery, even though I don't know Paul Avery from, like, any anyone. Like, it's just... Right, but it builds such a say. strong mental image, you know, that right, you can't... Exactly. Yeah, you can, it can't break that. Mm. Um, another interesting piece of trivia, um, George Lucas was actually in college at the time in California when the Zodiac murders were happening, and he kind of said he felt bad for Dave Toski, said that he thought that he got an unfair kind of rap for handling the, uh, for the murders. And he named Toski, uh, Tos- I, I don't think they pronounce it Toski and star. I think it's Tashi station, but he named Tashi <laughs> station after Dave Toski. Holy shit. Really? I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Thank you. IMDB trivia. Um, I gotta go. I gotta go to Tashi station to get some power converters. Right. Yeah. He said he just but felt. Dude, oh, good. Uh, wait, we we also just confirmed something. I'm pretty sure we just confirmed that uh, George Lucas is the Zodiac killer. Yeah, uh, what I was really thinking when I when I was the Zodiac. Uh. <laughs> I am the Zodiac killer. I'll, I'll, I'll ride around. I'll ride around and uh, I'll <laughs> shoot long, shoot long couples in the night, and uh, I'll make I'll make some prequel films about it. Kill, kill those kids as they come tumbling out of the bus. <laughs> I like how I like how apparently George Lucas's voice is synonymous with Kermit the Frog. Like him, he like, <laughs> hey, uh, so I wrote some letters to the uh, San Francisco Chronicle. Yeah, it's, it's like, oh my God, dude, Matthew Matthew from the LSG, uh, the Science Film Fiction Podcast, does that so well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fantastic. Uh, all their impressions are great over there. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, so like you said, you know, hey, it's your birthday. I'll take the, you know, you pick. I'll take the body, you know. <laughs> um, and we've got Mark Ruffalo kind of just running the play-by-play with um, uh, with Anthony Edwards right here, just kind of going over the body. We find some shell casings, um, you know, we there, and a lot of the, that, how Paul Avery, or how, I'm sorry, Paul Stein is hanging out of the cab is exactly how he was found in real life. Uh, so much of the stuff was just painstakingly accurate. Um, so yeah, we wind up finding the, um, you know, we uh, uh, we find the, the 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 shell casing in the ground. They correct, uh, they, they wind up correcting the the APB that went out. But I love the fact that, um, um, you know, the fact that when they're when they're on the way, they're told that it's a black male, and when they get there, the eyewitnesses uh, who've talked to the police say that it's uh, it's a white male. And they're immediately like, you know, that's kind of a problem. They're like, oh, don't worry, we already corrected it. And at this moment, you know, he's probably slipping through their fingers right there. And yeah, it's like, you yeah. didn't even know. And I love Mark Ruffalo finds the shell casing. He's like, okay, well, you know, I'm a, 
um, as uh, you know, as he's uh, as he's coming back, he's like, "Well, I'm a Negro male who also happens to be a storky, uh, a stock, a crew cut Caucasian." <laughs> it's such a yeah. good line. He's like, "Oh, great, thanks, guys. You know, you, you fucked that up." He's like, "I flag a cab. I give him this address. You know, who's got the fare book?" He's such a good detective. He's like, he's doing the play by play. He's like, "This is what I would do. Where's the fare book? What address did he tell him to go to?" Uh, that's you know. Ruffalo that's... is great in this man. Like he he plays a cop um, slash detective really well. Yeah. Um, I also recommend seeing if you haven't seen it already. Collateral, um, directed by Michael Mann. Yeah, I've um, got that. Yeah, great movie, man. We got to cover that one day. But yeah, <laughs> look at look at our, our list. It's it's the backlog is growing so quickly. Oh yes. Um, but um, yeah, man. He Ruffalo is also great in that as a cop. Yeah, that's 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 a great movie. Yeah, and I yeah, we should definitely cover that. And I like I like Mark Ruffalo a lot. I think that uh what from what I was reading, uh, this movie really revitalized his career because uh, he was kind of uh, some you know kind of not not necessarily making bad projects, but just wasn't really you know just bursting out. Um, Romantic comedies was his thing. I'm pretty sure. Right. right? Yeah, like, like thirteen going on thirty. Yeah. yeah, it's like oh god, uh, you know I, I hate rom coms. That's just not my kind of thing. Uh, um, no, I can't deal with that shit. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so they they kind of just go over you know their uh, their dialogue is just so quick in this movie. That's also because David Fincher asked them to speak faster. He's like, this is going to be a long movie. He's like, if you guys talk faster, it's going to seem like more real natural conversation, and the movie's going to go by faster. Um, which is really interesting because they had a hard time selling this as what they call like a quote unquote talky picture. Um, <laughs> they had a hard time kind of selling this, and he was like, "Well, we'll speed up the dialogue. You know, we'll tell them to talk faster." So, I love they're going over the uh, kind of logistics of what happened. Like, so you know, so I wait for him to put the car in park. Okay, so you're not an idiot. He's like, "But I just murdered a man for eight dollars and twenty five cents." He's like, "Of course I'm an idiot." <laughs> um, and you know, uh, and you know, does anyone have any animal crackers? He's like. <laughs> Animal crackers? Yeah. You know, he's like, what? Um, he goes, uh, you know, uh, goes over to the house that has witnessed the um, witnessed the murder. He speaks to the father of them. This guy, I believe his name is David Lee Smith. He is in one of my favorite movies of all time. I freaked when I saw this guy enter the door because he's in one of my favorite movies of all time. I highly suggest that everybody check it out. It's called Man from Earth. It's it's great, great science fiction. Mm. I can't go into it right now, but it's so 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 good. Um, not I've never seen another movie like it. It's that is another big talky movie, but it's great. It's actually the last thing that Jerome Bixby. Uh, he was one of the creators of Star Trek, or at least right, a big writer yeah. for it. It was the last thing he wrote in like 2006 before he died. Um, and another piece of trivia, actually, uh, Dave Toski, who uh, didn't. Actually, uh, I think he just now passed away in January of this year, January 6th or January 8th. Uh, but he just now uh, actually passed away, which is nuts. I would have, th- I actually thought that he had been dead for some time um, because Dave Toski is the inspiration for Steve McQueen's Bullet. Um, like Steve McQueen, oh, shit. Steve McQueen actually rode around with Dave Toski. And at one point in the movie, he's like, oh, man, he wears his gun like Bullet. And it's like, no, Bullet got that from Toski. He rode around in the car with him and showed him how to, you know, what cops were like. Uh, Dirty Harry's also based off Dave Toski. Um, there's yeah, a little... I got that from later, like the later scene in right. the cinema. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a lot of stuff this guy really inspired. 
a lot of like crazy, you know, fictional characters. And then Toski Station from Star Wars, it's like, wow, this guy was, you know, and he was a cop for, I think, 35 years, maybe 38 years. And then he retired in the late 80s, early 90s, I think. Um, but yeah, just always, even, even till, even up until the end, you know, he was still bothered by Zodiac and not being able to finish that. And that's like, God, I feel for the guy because his character comes across as just so likable. Yeah, um, it was his white whale, man. He was like mm-hmm. uh, Ahab, you know? Right. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, but yeah, we've got him questioning the kids. I love, you know, I love these, these kids are so specific. He's like, so what did the guy look, you know, what happened? He's like, oh, he's wiping his, you know, wiping something off the car, you know, and, and you're doing these, anybody see him? You know, the girl's like, I did. He's like, well, what did he look like? Uh, normal. He looked normal. And I'm like, normal. And he's like, you know, like, thank you. That really helps. You know, (laughs) like normal looking. Okay, good. You know, it it, it kind of does, though. I mean, he probably doesn't have any, like, distinguishing features or anything like that. Um, When I think of, like, I mean, like, you got to kind of picture, like, a plain face kind of like. I mean, if if someone looks normal, then maybe they don't have a beard, they don't have a mustache. When he says thank you, that's really helpful. It kind of is man like you know it's not someone that you'd pick out of a crowd as well that also tells him that too yeah i think um i think i would have lost my shit he looks normal what the fuck does that like <laughs> like shut I, up kid right yeah I, I mean i can understand if the guy if 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 he came out of the cab looking like fucking sloth from the Goonies, like, yes, that's, that's helpful. <laughs> like, I can understand that, but like, oh, he looks normal. Thank you. That's, that's very good. Um, so yeah. The, uh, yeah, baby Ruth. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're cutting back to the San Francisco Chronicle after the murder of Paul Stein. We've got another police rush to the editor, uh, letter that's been delivered. This is three days later and the secretary finds the, the uh, cut of Paul Stein's shirt covered in blood, and she just screams. I love that shot of the whole office just stops and looks in her direction, like, what? what is that? Um, and he's written a letter, you know, to prove this. Here is a bloodstained piece of the shirt. I am the same man who did the people in the North Bay area. Uh, you know, just basically um, confirming things that the police could only really know, you know, basically his typical Zodiac feel. Um, you know, and, and what, what, dri- what absolutely drives me nuts about this is the fact that, you know, these people are touching this letter and passing this back and forth. Like, I know this is the late 60s, early 70s, but we still have fingerprinting. Like, as soon as the cops get there, they put on gloves. And I understand that only, you know, you can't stop anybody from touching this letter, but you don't have to pass it around the room for people to hold. Like, that, Doug, because as soon as they get there, they put on gloves. They're like, hey, who's got, you know, we need cancellation prints. You know, we, who touched this letter and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that, that is, that's always kind of bothered me that they just pass this thing around. Like it's a joint at a concert, you know? And it's like, dude, stop, like, stop touching this thing. Like, this is not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to fucking touch it. You know, uh, it's like, I I don't want that shit. Um, but yeah, so this, this is actually the part where I believe his letter, uh, targets children. You know, like, like you mentioned earlier, you know, bounce the kitties, you know, I want to shoot out the front tire of a bus and bounce the kitties as they come bouncing out. Or, 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 you know, kill the kitties as they come bouncing out. Um, This is just absolutely, you know, this definitely takes things to a whole other level. School children make nice targets. I think I should wipe out a school bus some morning. Just shoot out the front tire and then pick off the kitties as they come bouncing out. Especially today, man. Especially today when you have these violence against school children. It's it's insane. Right. Oh, yeah. This was a a big thing for me, man, when I was reading this. Like, uh, when I was in the States um earlier this year and like i was only there like i was in dc i was being driven by an uber 
and um, they were talking about there was like eighteen school shootings, and I was there on the on the twenty. Oh, I can't remember. It was the twenty. I think it was the twenty fourth of January, and it it was the eighteenth school shooting that year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like it hadn't even been a month, and I'm just like, holy fucking shit! Are you serious? Are you serious right now? Yeah, absolutely. And it's. I think it's only gotten worse from there. Um, and especially, yeah, it's it's so much more relevant today with the threats against kids and gun violence, and um, yeah, it's it's not like the fact that they kept this under wraps and didn't tell anybody is insane. Like they were like, oh, we're, you know, everybody here at the Chronicle knows who's in this room, but we can't really. Like, I totally understand. I do. You know, you can't have a mass media circus. Uh, you know, over this yeah, thing. Yeah, they don't want to start a. They don't want to start a citywide panic. Right, and I don't. I don't blame them at all. Um, but, but yeah, like, and especially with the Zodiac, I mean, really, you got to think of all the threats he made. That's a lot of them are pretty empty. He never, he never murdered 12 people over a weekend. He never shot the, the tires off a school bus. He never planted a bomb like he said he would, you know, he never, you know, ne- he just didn't do a lot of the stuff that he threatened to do. Um, and it kind of only infuriates me more, honestly. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, you, you've got this person who dangles this threat of violence above everybody's heads, and it's totally empty anyways. Like, it's like being threatened with an empty gun, you know, and you find out it's empty. It's like, oh, Jesus. Um, you know, it just, it's, so, it would, it's just so infuriating to see, you know, someone just, you know, it's one thing for him to threaten this and it be serious. Okay, we have to take this seriously. You have to do something about it. But the fact that it was just bullshit the whole time is even more, yeah. you know, oh, my God. Um but then it's like it becomes harder to sift through what's real and what's not. Yeah. Like you, as as a police officer, you'd need to obviously assume that all of his threats are real. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when they like when he starts crying wolf, it's like okay, is this real or is this not? And then eventually, as a police officer or whoever's in charge, you're gonna have to you're gonna have a hard time sifting through where to where to put your resources and things like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. It's like you know, it, it's kind of like people who make false claims about any kind of attack to just only pilfers. You know, the amount you know, you're just taking up time. You're just clogging up the system with stuff like that yeah. when when it's not exactly. real, um, like fake calling nine one one and hanging up. You know, they're gonna call you back or they're gonna show up or something. Um, yeah, right. But yeah, so uh, so after the threat, Toski and Armstrong take the letter. Uh, they head back to uh, they head back to San Francisco PD. Uh, we've got kind of Gray Smith going through Paul Avery's trash, I guess, on his desk, and like, like I missed that the first few times. You know, he's kind of going through all these paper wads and stuff that's on his desk, maybe just trying to get some kind of, you know, nugget of information about what's going to be happening. Um, but yeah, the uh, as they're falling out, you know, you've got you know you've got Avery literally following them, following them almost to the door. You know, about like, hey, so yeah, is it true they got a partial print on him and blah blah blah. Yes, it's true they got a partial in blood. That is not for publication, Paul. He's like, hey, it's me. It's me. You know, I, I, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then of course there's there's Graysmith right on Avery's heels. Did he say they got a print? He's like, yeah, partial. Yeah, and this this is one of my favorite exchanges in the movie. Um, you know, and he uh, he's like, yeah, just a partial. And he, you know, he's walking back to his desk. And he's like, whoa, you know, and, and he's just enamored with Paul Avery, it seems like. He's like a little kid. He's like, he's almost like, um, he's almost like, um, you know, like Tim following him around in Jurassic Park. Like it yeah. totally, yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like, yeah, he's, immediately he's like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, as, as he's talking to him, 
I, I love that he, he's uh, yeah he's like, well does he think that the zodiac's going to send more letters because I think he's going to send another another co- Jesus Herald Christ uh, on rubber crutches Bobby <laughs> what what are, you're doing that thing with the L word the thing we talked about he's like, oh yeah looming he's like yep he's like the thing I don't like goodbye um, but yeah that's uh, it's 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 crazy. Um, it's crazy, you know, to see this kind of interaction between between them when there wasn't really a friendship. It's it's kind of nuts. Um, so yeah, they're gonna they're gonna go ahead and run it without the threat of the uh, the school shooting of the children. You know, please ask you all this to keep this confidential. We're not gonna tell anybody. Of course, that doesn't stop Jake Gyllenhaal from the next day putting his kid on the bus. He's like, nah, fuck that. I'll drive him. He's like, no, 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 I'll drive I him. I love that. Right. I love that. He's just like he puts him on the bus. He's like, see ya, and then he's like, no, no, actually, you know what? I'll drive. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Right, and then the next scene, uh, ten hours later, uh, you got Toski um, with the with the professional, um, who's a bit of a dick. Yeah. Right? Oh, Sher- Sherwood Morell. Yeah, played by. Let's see, I've got this written down here. Sherwood Morell, played by. Um, oh God, where is it? Philip Baker Hall. Uh, yeah. Is a great actor, but yeah, total asshole. You know, the, this guy. <laughs> this guy. This guy wound up letting eight thousand suspects. You know, cleared all of them through handwriting. Absolutely all right. of them. Like yeah. it's like, oh my god, this guy held up a lot of stuff. And even his proteges come out later on and said that, um, you know, that you, you don't don't rule Arthur Lee Allen out as a suspect just because of handwriting. He's like, don't do that. And he's like, that you know, that's a bad idea. And this is a guy who trained under underneath him directly. Um, but yeah, they right. basically. Uh, I was listening to um, just a quick uh, quick side tangent. I was I was listening to uh, one of the recent episodes of the Joe Rogan podcast, um, and they were talking about how effective or ineffective, rather, um, handwriting handwriting you know evidence was. Oh, like uh, I mean, it's because like each each moment, I mean, you can be writing differently every time. Like it, it matters. It matters how, um, what's your mental state at the at the time? You know, like physical sort of hang ups. Like you might have something, you might have hurt your hand or something like that. There's a lot that goes into it, and it's very unreliable. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and especially if you know people are going to be tracing it, I can just change my handwriting from my natural right. handwriting. Like it's not like that hard. Like you know exactly. You know, um, like when to like what how to change it right you can stop like flicking your l's or even just crossing the t's in the same place and things like that but um yeah anyway so this professional um just he confirms that the letters are the same right right yeah he basically yeah they're the same letter we've got to release the school the bomb threat on children we've just gone from you know cabbie shooting to mass murder or targets children uh, so yeah, they've confirmed it, and this opens up the floodgates. We've got calls coming in, you know, left and right, just phone calls, just you know, blowing up. You know, uh, yeah. Have you got any suspects? Oh, only about five hundred an hour. He's like, have you cleared any of them? <laughs> yeah, if I could get my ass off the desk, you know. And he's like, I can't, you know, I can't get off the fucking, you know, I can't get off the phone. Uh, and this is this whole scene is really, I mean, we can't go into this because it is just so much. Like going on between Armstrong calling Napa, he's calling Vallejo. This is these are the problems that this confusion right here in the film, where you feel almost dizzy from how many phone calls are going on, is the reason why the Zodiac fell through the cracks. These these people were not cooperating the way that they should have been. Right, just jurisdictional issues and shit like that. Right, and you know this is before task force. You know could be involved where you could just you know jurisdiction. Once you created a task force, jurisdiction didn't matter. But yeah, there, there was so much that in the Vallejo files and the Napa files in San Francisco that ended up not going to the right people and I believe had they had they come across had they joined forces in the right way this definitely would have been 
this definitely would have been solved, especially with all the with all the evidence they had between the between the three of them. Um, but uh, but yeah, this is where we find out that the two officers who released the wrong APB or no 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 these aren't the officers who released the APB, but they found uh, basically the, the the officers crossed him on the corner three minutes after the shooting and didn't stop the guy and say hey you know or didn't even shine a light on him. They're like, dude, he would have been covered in blood, like you'd have seen it. Uh, and Mark Ruffalo, he's like, did you see him? He's like, did you talk to him? And it's like like he's so pissed he seems he's so, so angry, pissed he it under the surface so close to the surface though yes that last shot on mark ruffalo's face when he's staring at them it's the last shot of the scene it's fucking brutal it's like oh my god i would not want to be on the receiving end of that you know that guy the guy who inspired inspired dirty harry and bullet i would not want to be on the bad end of that guy um yeah. But yeah, there's so, so yeah, Zodiac the, the the Zodiac, you know, pandemonium has has now exploded. People calling on the radio, you know, there's been five murders, there's just school threats, uh, there's all of this stuff going on. They've got helicopters, you know, overhead as Jake Gyllenhaal is taking his kid to school. Uh, it's just you know, it's it's just nuts. Um At this it, point they've already um they've already uh decided sorry not decided figured out um the wing walker prints as well right um, that it's military style so they've kind of narrowed the the, the um the scope a little bit mm-hmm. yeah exactly uh and that's just caught up in that tide of information they're not sharing with each other because of you know and even ken narlo um you know who's who's played by uh donald Logue, who i mean that guy's great he's in sons of anarchy and uh grounded mm. for life and he's like, in gotham yeah, he's in Gotham. He's great. Uh, but I love it. He's like, yeah, 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 we'll send you the prints. You just go ahead and email us, you know, or email. You just go ahead and mail us this, and, you know, we'll we'll mail you that. And it's like, dude, this is not – this is no time to fuck around and see who's got the biggest dick. Like, there's a co- – there's a, there's somebody out here murdering people. Like, get off – like, stop this whole, like, cockfight thing and just, you know, we need to find out who this guy is. Um, yeah, we'll and, telefax it to you. Right, yeah. And, oh, we don't have telefax. Fuck. Send it in the mail. Oh, yeah, we'll mail ours too. You know, it's like, oh, my God. Um, but yeah, like this is, uh, you know, this, this is where we're cutting in between, uh, Robert Graysmith and Paul Avery and Dave Toski and Armstrong kind of having, we're cutting in between, you know, the, the couples of them, uh, trying to figure out, um, you know, we're just kind of recapping, you know, you know, who he killed and who lived, you know, he gets so caught up with the women that he, you know, forgets to finish off the men. Uh, plus they're all couples on lovers lanes, you know, except for Paul Stein, you know, this is, doesn't make any sense. You know, it, it, it's, it's very odd. Um, so we're just kind of basically recapping on, on what's been, um, on, on what's been going on and they figure out, you know, he's breaking the pattern. There's no reason for him to kill Paul Stein. Um, it's, it, it is, it's very, it's very odd, you know, in correspondence with what's been going on. Um, but yeah, it's, um, um, yeah, then Dave Toshi gets his phone call, um, you know, that basically the Zodiac is going to call on the Jim, the Jim Dunbar show. Um, and he wants Melvin Belli, who's kind of a famous attorney. I believe he was on Star Trek, uh, for an episode or two. Um, but he, uh, he demands to talk to him on the Jim Dunbar show, and this is a really intense scene. It's great. Um, you know, it's 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 fantastic. Him riding in the back of the car. These animal crackers. He's like, your car is filthy. You know, and he's afraid of the Zodiac uh, shooting him in the police car. And apparently, Melvin Belli, who was uh, notoriously dramatic, um, you know, he was an actor as well as a lawyer. Um, but he really, you know, Zodiac reached out to him multiple times, called him, wrote him letters, sent him a piece of Paul Stein shirt. Uh, he was very, you know, very. Um, yeah, very wrapped up with Melvin Belli. And this is um, 
you know, and this is obviously what, um, you know, obviously end up being a kind of false alarm. Um, it was a mental patient who called from a, from a, a, a mental Psychiatric hospital facility. Yeah. yeah. It's also uh, worth noting, um, Bella is played by Brian Cox, the great Brian. Cox, yes. Who, who was the first, um, the first guy to play, uh, Hannibal Lecter on screen. No and, shit. Yeah. In, in the movie called Manhunter directed by Michael Mann as well. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. I don't know if this is a little bit of a serial connection, serial killer connection here, but you know. Yeah, no, I love Troy, X-Men 2. Like, he's in a lot oh, of, dude. like, really good movies. X-Men 2 especially, man. Like, yeah. He was, he was always, like, a, a figment, uh, like, a, a figure of my childhood there, like, as, as Striker, kind of Wayne Striker. Yes. Especially, yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, we'll cover that movie someday, too. But, oh, yeah, yeah uh, they basically, they bring him on the show, and they get, you know, they call him Sam, this Zodiac character. Immediately he hangs up, you know, this is, you know, thinks his phone calls are being traced, and this guy is going on about, I have headaches, and when I kill, oh, I don't get that. Oh, dude, yeah, and that's, I love with Shorty, the guy who sells coffee, he's watching it with Paul Avery. And he's like, when I kill, I don't get the headaches. He's like that is fucked up. Like he, yeah. <laughs> him in the background. It's 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 good comic relief for the scene. Um, but yeah, this, God knows this movie needs comic relief, dude. Yes, like it is, Jesus Christ. I feel like my soul has blackened since I've seen this movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, it's so crazy. But yeah, had that scream. I did not say anything you know that guy's voice is absolutely terrifying so they they basically they're trying to talk to him as long as possible to keep him held up you know i i don't think that the da would ask for uh capital punishment do you want me to talk to him for you sam you know and it's like i love he's he's trying to play to him so well um and it's 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 just fantastic you know i had headaches too but then a chiropractor stopped them a week ago you know and he's brian crock's fantastic absolutely fantastic um but uh, but yeah, they they try to get him to set up a meeting. Um, they try to get him to set up a meeting, I believe, at the Saint uh, at the Saint Mary's Church, um, which is the pre you know predestined place that the police asked him um, you know to to set this you know to set this meeting up. And I love that as soon as um, you know I love that as, as you know there's all those cars pulling up and and running to the to the spot and. Uh, Oh, oh yes, you boys sure know how to keep a meeting secret. You know, there's <laughs> helicopters and cops and reporters yeah, everywhere. It's yeah, and it just wound up being bogus. Uh, they actually even the last uh, Brian Hartnell, one of the only surviving victim, v- the surviving victims, was like, no, that's not him. You know, that's not his yeah. voice. It's obvious. And you know, they trace the phone call. It was and deemed to not. be too young sounding and to be like to be official. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, uh, then right after that, um, yeah, and that that's that seemed like such a promising scene, you know, that that oh my god, we got him, we're right there, and it's like now nah, false yeah. alarm. It's Very just memorable scene, yeah. Yes, uh, but yeah, we're we're cutting back to the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, as soon as you know Paul Avery or no Paul Avery, Robert Graysmith walks in. There's just nobody around at any of their desks, which is very odd because we've seen this place. This place is hopping and popping, you know, and they're all in the editorial room uh, going over another Zodiac letter, really starting to show you the the pull that this guy has every time. You know, this is I think what fed his madness. You know, yeah, I'm getting attention for it. You know, it's basically you know now it started with five or six people being in the room. So there's eight or nine people, and then there's two cops, and now there's the entire staff of this paper is in here listening to the publisher read off the, um, you know, read off the loot. The, oh, here comes the newest Zodiac letter, you know, and it's like, oh man, that's kind of fucked up, you know, um, yeah, just uh, it, it's it just became such a such a you know cultural phenomenon in their area. 
Um, but yeah, you know, basically goes on to uh, goes on to show them the schematics of a bomb that he is planning on making. Uh, one bag of a, a ammonium nitrate fertilizer. Take a few bags of gravel on top. You know, it's a bomb. You know, okay, well, let's call the army and see if this fucking exp- science experiment could actually work. Um, and this is when Paul Avery's like, Robert, we should get a drink, you know, and he's, uh, you know, they, they, they get a new cipher. Um, you know, basically they go to the, they go to Morty's after this. Um, this, I, I love this cause you know, immediately it's kind of tense, you know, in between the two of them, you know, um, you know, how'd you, you know, basically asking him questions about, you know, how he knew this and how he knew that, you know, um, yeah, why you been digging through the trash on my, on my, you know, why you been digging through my trash? And he just kind of stops and he's like, we'll come back to that, you know, and, and, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's great, you know, cause you can tell he's kind of hostile towards him, but he doesn't, you know, maybe doesn't, doesn't necessarily hate the guy, you know, at least he's sharing a drink with him, you know, at the bar. And, uh, and, you know, it's, I, I, I love that he, you know, that, that drink, I actually looked this drink up. The drink is called an aqua velva. Uh, let me, <laughs> let me pull my notes out here. An aqua velva is vodka, gin, lemon, lime, and blue curacao, uh, blue curacao, curacao, uh, I believe is how you say it, blue curacao. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this can no longer be ignored. What are you drinking? Uh, yeah, like, hey, you wouldn't make fun of it if you tried. It's so casual. I love it. This can no longer be ignored. Yeah, uh, and I, yeah, I, I read. I like books. Those are the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I think that's fantastic. Where he's like, you know, if you tried it, you wouldn't make fun of it. And he kind of tricks a little drink and then cuts his eye sideways, and it hard cuts to them both laying on the table, and there's like six or seven empty ones. Yeah, um, that's fantastic. But yeah, they're they're basically just going on about the code uh, and how. Um, you know, and, and how, how it was just, it was just a simple, you know, replacement code. And I love Paul Avery. What's in this, you know, this is good business for everyone, but you, you know, and he's like, good business. He's like, you know, this is a business, you know, this is just like, you know, it's like thrilling to him. He's like, I'm not trying to make money off of this. I want to solve it, you know, and that's, that's, it's, it's great. Um, you know, the fact that he's kind of taken aback by that, he's like, I don't want to, you know, I'm not a cop, you know, or I'm, you know, I'm not, or I'm not, you know, just somebody kind of trying to make money off of this, you know, uh, I want to, I want to solve this thing. You know, I want to do some good. Um, but yeah, I think after, after this part, we've, uh, we've got the Kathleen Johns, uh, Kathleen Johns, the woman who is driving with her baby in the car. Uh, I hope I didn't skip past anything. I don't think I did. No, no, that's all right. Fun fact. Well, um, so this is the daughter. So, you know, the hurdy gurdy song. Yeah. The hurdy gurdy man. Uh, by Donovan. Yeah. This is Donovan's daughter. No shit. Yeah. That's awesome. I, yeah, I love, I like Donovan's song Atlantis and Goodfellas and, you know, this. Yeah. It's like, dude, yeah, that that is that is fan-fucking-tastic. That's cool. I did not know that. Um, and that's such a, you know, and you, you would think, yeah, especially this would never fly today. Somebody flagging you down and telling you to pull over and let you fuck oh, with their no. time. No, hell no. Um, but, yeah, I... I I love that because uh, you, if you, the shot where he's loosening up her lug nut, I mean, you can see it is very clearly he's loosening it up. He's yeah, he's having to put yeah. he's having to put resistance and weight down on it. But her, uh, yeah, Kathleen Johns was supposedly pulled over by the, the Zodiac, and he, you know, uh, some people speculate whether this was Zodiac or not. Um, and, like, there's just some things that don't really make any sense, and we can cross that bridge kind of when we come to it. Um, but basically, uh, yeah, they think this might have been someone else because Zodiac took the 
you know, took credit for it in the paper, but, you know, took credit for it after they'd already published a story about it. He didn't write the letter before the story came out like, like normally. Um, but yeah, um, that is a really intense scene. Yeah. Oh, I'll drive you to a service station. And as they're driving past, she's like, you, you just, you drove right past one. He's like, it was closed. It's like, Oh my God, you are dead, bitch. Like you are so so dead. Oh my God, man. The way this scene just kind of intensifies again, no music or anything like that. Um, he's just so like I love that he leaves and the the baby's just kind of crying and then she drives off and then just shortly after that the wheel just comes loose Mm -hmm. and she gets out to have a look and the wheel just completely like she looks over and just it's just off yeah Um, and then he just reverses up and asks if she's okay Mm -hmm. and then he's like it must have been worse than I thought and then he's just like um, and he's like, you want to, there's a gas station down there. And then she's like, yep. Um, okay. She thinks about it, obviously. Right. And then she grows a baby. I, and then he, I, I love when she takes a seat and he's like, I didn't know you had a baby. Yeah. The more, the merrier. Yeah. It's like, oh my yeah. God. Um, uh, but, but it, it, yeah, no, go, he's like, it, it was closed. Yeah. Right. Uh, do you always drive around in the night helping people? They don't need help when I'm done with them. It's like, okay, bitch, get the fuck out of the car. Yeah, like, man. get the fuck out of the car. And then just like, just out of nowhere, before I kill you, I'm going to throw your baby out the window. Yeah. Holy God. Like, and just holy that, shit. that noise. Mm. Uh, and we're immediately cut to that woman driving down the road and there's the 18 wheeler. Uh, I love this shot, man. Yes. I love this shot. Just the car pulling in. Right. Yeah, it's great. You know, it, it is so good. Like those far away shots of just that his nighttime shots are just kill this movie. It's so good. Kill it in a good way. Um, but yeah, ba- I love that truck driver, you know, dude, she didn't have a baby when I, you know, that woman's like, you know, she's, you know, calm down. Where's your baby? You know? And she runs off. And she's taken her baby and hidden it in a bush, and, you know. And you know, oh, in case he ever, you know, I didn't know if he was going to come back. It's like holy hell, yeah. And a lot of people debate about uh, whether or not it was really, um, it was really the Zodiac who who did it, because uh, there's been a lot of speculation because he took credit for a lot of things that did not happen. Uh, de- definitely, definitely didn't that, that he didn't do. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of speculation because he's. Um, you know, took credit for the murder of a police officer, took credit for, you know, this Kathleen Johnson, and these are stories that were already printed, and then the Zodiac took credit for them. There's just not, it's just not matching up at all. Um, and that's, that's just, yeah, that's, that's incredibly, yeah, that's incredibly odd that he's taking credit for stories that have, that, you know, taking credit for things that he didn't, you know, that he didn't even have anything to do with. It just really he's shows just trying you. to increase his notoriety, man. Like, just, um, just like a, like a plagiarizer. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and it's it, yeah, it's it's really it's really crazy, uh, you know, just trying to take credit for all that kind of stuff. But that's um, um, you know after 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 this part with Kathleen Johns, um, basically she uh, which yeah ultimately yeah she did survive her child survived, um, <clears throat> but yeah we've got this great you know we've got this great montage with, um, or uh, no I think uh. I don't think I'm skipping a part. Um, but no, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's a, there's a montage here. Okay, okay, just making sure. Um, but yeah, they have that. They have that great montage uh, of, Ar- of of Armstrong and Toski kind of, uh, you know, check checking um, uh, checking everything out. It seems like they're just in and out of that place. The Chronicle. Um, it's 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 just nuts to see uh, to see just how frequently they're there. And we've got you know the the letters kind of just randomly strewn about um 
in uh you know like in the foreground and in the background it really it really looks great um but uh but yeah so we cut to Avery and Graysmith at the bar um and they are not going to uh they are not going to be running any any more of the zodiac letters they want to see um they want to kind of hold back and see what he does because obviously printing the letters isn't doing them any favors um and uh and yeah the uh uh that that's where Paul Avery kind of is like yeah cuz he's full of shit you know and it takes Graysmith by surprise um, yeah, and that's where he goes on about, you know, this guy is taking credit for murders that he had, you know, absolutely nothing to do with. Um, you know, it's it's the same thing with, like I said, this police officer that was shot in his car. You know, these are all things that you can just read out of the paper and anybody can, can take credit for. And that's where he also says, you know, he even stole his logo. He's like, what? And he's like, oh, shit. He's like, well, okay, don't tell anybody this. Who would I tell? Okay, totally fair point. Um, <laughs> absolutely love that part. You know, and I will stand here and attempt not to vomit. You know, and <laughs> he's basically proving to him that he's like, dude, this guy is full of shit. Uh, and Graysmith almost seems kind of like disappointed by that. You know, he uh, it's yeah that that basically it's it's kind of obfuscating what are the real murders when he's taking credit for ones that he didn't even you know that he didn't even commit. Um, but yeah, after you know after kind of that meeting with uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr., we cut to. You know, Toski and Armstrong in the car. This is going to be a year after Bill's birthday. They're at the corner of Washington and Cherry where the Paul Stein murder happened. Um, so really still no leads. I'm sure that's really haunting these guys that they just never never found anything out about it. It's just a really quick scene, but it shows the passage of time and that nothing has come about of it and that it's still in their minds. Um but uh, but yeah, and it, I I love this is one of my favorite exchanges actually when it shows Robert Graysmith getting that coffee from Shorty and he's like, does it bother ever bother you that people call you Shorty? He's like, does it ever bother you that people call you retard? And he's like, nobody calls me that, right? And I love does he brings. Does anyone ever call me names like retard? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he brings him like the coffee. Uh, this is where. Paul Avery gets a piece of uh, Paul Stein shirt sent to him, and what a great reaction from Robert Downey! Jesus, piece of fucking call the fucking yeah. cops, you know, and he's he's gone. Uh, and you know, well, I mean, Paul, you did call him a latent homosexual, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> I want a gun. You know, everybody's reaction in the room is like, "This is the last guy who should have a gun," because immediately, as soon as he says, "I want a gun," it cuts to him at the firing range, missing every single time. Yeah, but like I was going to say, it's a terrible shot. Yeah, uh, he. I'm surprised he didn't shoot Jake Gyllenhaal behind him. Like he's <laughs> he's such a bad shot. Uh, but this uh, is where we really get the introduction of Melissa, who's played by Chloe Sevigny. She winds up, you know, this this character becomes Robert Graysmith's wife and then ex-wife later as the movie goes must, on. She must love um, serial killer movies because she was also in American Psycho. Yeah, yeah, that's totally true. Um, uh, but yeah, basically, Paul has a tip, and Paul Avery has a tip in uh, Riverside. And he's going to go and, and check it out, some anonymous tip. Uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal is going to go on his date with Chloe Savigny, you know, and his future wife in the film. Um, and this whole thing of, of him, you know, it's basically he's like, oh, yeah, I've never been here before. You're going to take a date to a place you've never eaten before? What are you, an idiot? Like, like why why, why would you? There's no way I would. Be, oh, yeah, I've never been here before. Unless it's like a five-star restaurant, you know? <laughs> like, no, but no. it's all right. It's all right. Paul has a gun. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love that thing. She's like, he's following up on a tip. Isn't that kind of dang? Nah, he's got a gun, you know, and I can't believe neither neither of them thought about this before that this could absolutely be Zodiac. Uh, and he's just waiting. But I love that. He's like, you know, I should really go home and wait for the call. She's like, is this a sleazy way to get me in bed? He's like, no. You know, and she's like, I'll get the food to go. He's so genuine, man. I love that. He's just like, no, no, of course not. Like, it doesn't even like really register in his mind like that it's uh that it's some kind of plan. She might like think of it as some kind of plan. Right. Yeah. That it might be some kind of sleazy ploy to like get him, uh, you know, g- or get her back home. But uh, yeah, they stay up waiting for the phone call, and yeah, he gets it. Um, yeah, Robert, are you sitting down? He's like, you're not gonna believe this. And basically, they uh, whoever this informant is that uh that paul avery has met with um uh has has found out about this other murder that they consider to be the first zodiac murder uh that took that took place at a place in riverside um and this is a big deal because paul avery has skipped right past the cops and taken his taken taken this letter that they found and gone straight to the head of question documents, which is that grumpy old curmudgeon bastard we talked about, Sherwood Morell. Um, <laughs> he basically he t- takes it straight to him and skips the cops, skips any kind of you know uh, authority figure, and this is bad. This is really bad. Um, uh, you know they wind up to you know it winds up taking uh, you know we've got the Department of Justice we've got Ken Narlow from Napa we've got Dave Toski there we've got Jack Mullinex from Vallejo like all of them immediately get on a plane and are down to uh, Riverside you know to come check this out and they're all giving Dave, Dave Toski shit they're like in all due respect why am I hearing about this in the paper except for you know except for you know why am I hearing about this in the paper and not from getting phone calls from you. And he's like, you know, we got screwed out of it, too. And there's a lot of talk about Dave Toski really liking getting his name in the paper. Um, but I love Robert Downey Jr. You know, hey, guys, what's going on? They're not a good time, Paul. He's yeah, like, no. yeah, can, can I catch a ride with you? He's like, no, Paul. And he's like, not wow. friendly at all. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then, and, and then, like, the smoking being in the last six hours only. Oh, man, what a time. Right, yeah, absolutely. That would have been just nuts. But basically, uh, yeah, they're they're trying to tie up this murder of a girl named Sherry Jo Bates. In Riverside, California, uh, she was at the Riverside Community College on the night of October 30th, 1966. Uh, she was murdered. Uh, a letter was was sent to her residence, to her family. Phone calls were made with heavy breathing on the other end of the line. Um, you know, basically talks about hunting people as game. You know, they they Riverside, Cal, you know, those people have a person that they like for it and they want to pin it on. But, of course, they're thinking that this is definitely a Zodiac-related thing. Um, which it's such a fantastic scene when they leave between Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo. I, 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 this scene is great, you know, and he's, he's like, you know, Cherry Joe Bates was a gift. I gave that to you guys. Like, does this bother you that it could not even be Zodiac, that they might not be able to make an arrest on their suspect now because of what you've done, you know? And, and I love, he's like, I got, you know, I got Vallejo and department of justice looking at me sideways, you know, and, and, and as he's talk as he's talking, getting in his face, Robert Downey Jr. starts writing down, and he just smacks that fucking pen out of his hand. You know, I just that pad and pen. I love that exchange. And as he's walking off, you know, he threatened my life too. You know, and he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Goodbye, Paul." And I love that. Hey, bullet! It's been a year and a half. You gonna catch this guy or what? And it's like, ooh, like shots fucking fired, man. Like oh, no. it's so like it's it's so argumentative, man. It's just so like, yeah. I love it. yeah. Go fuck yourself. Gladly, you should have <laughs> called me, Paul. I love that. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, this, this whole thing throws just a whole other, 
throw throws a whole other kind of cog in the wheel with this whole Jerry, uh, uh, Sherry Joe Bates murder in Riverside because these actually predate the Zodiac murders, which is crazy. Um, but um, but yeah, and of course once um, yeah once word gets out of this Riverside uh, Riverside murders. There's people who start stepping oh, forward. The We've got yeah that great montage of like, you know, I'm the Zodiac. Okay, how did you kill your victims with a gun? No, with a hammer. You know, and like people confessing and trying to get, you know, trying to get you know only a sick bastard like Andre could have cut off all the victims' hands. You know, and yeah. just like making Zodiac crazy. Didn't kill anybody with the <laughs> didn't cut off anybody's hands. <laughs> yeah, are you sure? Yes, sir. And it's like a drag queen. Um, yeah. I love that. I worked I worked next to Patrick for ten years. His foot gets crushed. He gets laid off work. The Zodiac murders happen. Mark Ruffalo is like, yeah, and he's like, you're the detective. Figure it out, you know. <laughs> uh, but this is where we get the introduction of Don Cheney. Right, before up, we before we move on, have you considered the killer might be Paul Avery? Yeah, frequently. frequently. <laughs> no, yeah, that is a fantastic part. Um, and uh, but yeah, we get the introduction of Don Cheney. Don Cheney is going to play a huge role in the Zodiac kind of mythos as thing goes on. This guy, I mean, he throws a lot of shade towards Arthur Lee Allen, and it's debatable about what possibly how much information this guy really knew. But this guy comes out and says that Arthur Lee Allen was basically a pedophile and that he was uh, fired from his job. Uh, I think in Blue Rock Springs, um, and he was pissed off about it and talked about shooting the tire off a bus and pound, shoot the, shooting the little darlings as they come out. Said that he would uh, put a flashlight on his gun and shoot people in the dark and that he would go by the name Zodiac. This is a lot of extremely specific information. This this really is, and I, I'm not going to, you know, we don't have the time to sit here and debate about whether, you know, Don Cheney is full of shit or not. But for the sake of the movie, if you take that at face value and believe it, that's insane. You know, that this that this guy, Arthur Lee Allen, would lay out his entire, like Mark, Mark Ruffalo says, lay out his entire master plan over a New Year's Day fishing trip. You know, he's like, yeah, he's like, he's drunk. He's mad about being fired. He's like, I can buy it. And he's like, I can totally see him doing this. Uh, you know, and Armstrong even says, he's like, but I got to admit, man, he's like, I really like the guy. You know, I really, I really think that, um, I really think that this guy could be the one, uh, that this guy could be the Zodiac, not, not the one as in like, you know, put, put a ring on it. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I love, uh, I love the, um, I love the scene where Armstrong is talking to, uh, I believe it's just one of Arthur Lee Allen's friends that I, I'm not sure what the character's name is. He's only got like two scenes. But he's he's there with Don Cheney when Don Cheney's telling him about everything that's happened, mm. and they're like, "Well, you know, the handwriting doesn't match." He's like, "Yeah, but that's not a problem for Arthur, or that's not a problem for Lee." He's like, "Why?" He's like, "He's ambidextrous," you know. And and they're like, "That's where they start figuring it out," you know. And every in everyday life, he uses his left hand job applications, letters to friends, blah blah blah. But he writes the zodiac letters with his right hand, producing a different handwriting that he can't be linked to. This is just insane, you know. And that's. If this is true, again, the implications behind it are are nuts. Um, and then, and, yeah, uh, that's that's, and then you know they're approved to go have a look into uh, Arthur Lee Allen from the Chief. Right. Yeah. Um, this is a this is a great scene. Uh, this is kind of our introduction to John oh, Carroll Lynch. Sorry, just just quickly before we move on. Um, there's uh, there's a little niggle here from uh, Mark Ruffalo's character. How he just he, how he's he orders the BLT and he takes out the tomato. Just yeah, manually. 
Um, my, uh, that's a shout out to my friend who always does that. I'm always just like, come on, man, seriously, just order it without the tomato. You know, <laughs> it's just, uh, just like, it's easier. It's easier for you. Yeah. It's easier for the person too. It's less work. Yeah. The tomato is the best part too. What are you crazy? No. Uh, the ironic part is that Mark Ruffalo takes the tomato off, but he's a vegetarian and keeps the bacon on. <laughs> like he's having to <laughs> continually spit into napkins in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is where they confront Arthur Lee Allen, who, like I said, is played by John Carroll Lynch, so um, well as well, right? Like, yes. God damn, he plays him so well. Like, I don't know what it is. Um, it just it reminds me actually a lot of. Um, have you seen the show Mindhunter? Uh, no. Mm-mm. So it's on Netflix. It's just about the FBI, um, kind of like profile, like trying to work on profiles, serial killer profiles. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one. Um, particular serial killer they interview multiple times and he just reminds me of this guy just kind of like a little bit unhinged but kind of keeping it cool on the surface uh like close to the surface um and he plays it so well man this this guy actually john carroll lynch is also in the founder he plays one of the the mcdonald's uh founders um that gets screwed over by the actual guy um but yeah man like this this he's so good in this role and he's definitely i mean unfortunately for lynch He's the guy that I picture when we talk about the Zodiac. Yeah, I mean, he just, he does it so well, and he comes across as almost careless and, like, childlike. It's very weird, and uh, there's so many things right away. They're like, you know, when he crosses his legs and the officer notices the wingwalker boots, and he's like, uh, kind of looks at the boots and looks back, and Molinax looks at the boots and looks back up at... Arthur Lee Allen, and they start questioning him about, you know, all this, you know, this murder that happened. And he said he's already spoken to the police. Um, but, you know, I just, I love, I, you know, they're, they're just talking to him. Um, you know, were you ever in Southern California in 1966, which have been, would have been the time of the Sherry, Sherry Joe Bates murder? Um, you know, and he's like, yeah, I went down there for the auto races and stuff. And the craziest part, he just blurts out, yeah, the knives that had blood on them in the back of my yeah. car were from where I killed a chicken, and it's like yeah, just the way it escalates, and then that takes them completely by surprise. They're like, "Excuse me, yeah, knives? yeah." They're like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" He's like, "Well, I killed a chicken. I thought maybe Bill called the other officer on me because of it." And it's like, "We'll be looking into that." Mm. Uh, but then just before that, he says um, that a neighbor saw him around four o'clock, and then they forgot to tell the officer that. But then just like coincidentally. The neighbor died a week later of a heart yeah. attack. Yeah, he's you like, know, oh, there's he's... just so many like little things like like that. Right. Yeah. And I love basically they're they're there because of what Don Cheney has said against him. They start asking him, "Are you ambidextrous?" He's like, "No, my teachers tried to make me when I was a kid, but I couldn't. I'm left-handed." Like mm. he's so oh, it's so infuriating how good and bad this is at the same time. Um, and, you know, I just, you know, and immediately what really gets him flustered up is where they start. Uh, you know, he also says you make statements about shooting children as they come. You know, he's like, that is a horrible thing to say. Who would even say such a thing? Mm. So you weren't mad about being fired for touching your students. And I just that this is where the movie hits the climax. And he stops. He's like, I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was, I wouldn't tell you. And it, oh, my God. Um, such a good, you know, such a good scene. Um, right. And then, and then Toski, um, sees his watch and asks mm. to see his watch and he gives it over and it's a Zodiac watch. Yeah. I love it. Can, can, may I see it? And he just hands him his wrist. May I see it? And he's mm. like, give me the watch. You know, oh, and as soon as Molinax sees it, as soon as all of them see it, their faces are just like, oh my God. 
Uh, and Arthur Lee Allen, you know, when he when he leaves too, um, you know, that's just nuts. He's like, I look forward to the day when cops are no longer referred to as pigs. He's like, thanks. <laughs> that's so odd. You know, does anybody else think that this suspect warrants further investigation? Yeah, you know, that is such a fantastic way to mm. wrap up that scene. Like, and, and it dude, really. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was no, going to go say there's, there's like another smoking gun. Like, I mean, um, when they bring up the the most dangerous game, he's like, it's a great book, or at least that's what I told Phil. Nice. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I love that story in high school. He even cuts them to it. He's like, that's why you're here, the most dangerous game. Like, he immediately, uh, you know, and uh, there's, and even to the way, you know, I read that Arthur Lee Allen had that slumpy kind of slow walk. Yeah. And right. that, yeah, that, that, that. Um, that was um, described by the policeman earlier during the right. Paul Stein shooting. Right, yeah, totally. Um, but, yeah, they end up talking to Arthur Lee Allen's brother and sister-in-law. They're like, yeah, he's always been troubled. You know, yeah, he he is definitely a pedophile. Uh, you know, it's it's always been kind of true. And I love, um, uh, I love you know what they say about Don Cheney. He's like, you know, you know, they're like, yeah, if Don Cheney told you this stuff, then I would say that it's probably true. You know, that's that's another person corroborating this insane story. So it's it's starting to get a little bit more level. And then the wife points out, yeah, this letter says this letter says Christmas, like Christmas. It's got another S in it. We have a we have a Christmas card that Lee sent us with double S's on the end of Christmas. And you're like, oh my god, okay, we're starting like this whole movie. Yeah, I think we're an hour and a half in, and we haven't even touched. We haven't even touched Arthur Lee Allen yet. We're just now talking about him, and we're just now getting this information. And now we're starting to really feel like, oh my god, okay, this is starting to take somewhere. This is really starting to this is really starting to take off. Um, you know, and they're saying we, uh, uh, basically I, they're, they're starting to look for search warrants. Uh, they're, they're wanting to, um, they're wanting, they're wanting to get, you know, uh, search warrants and, and searches, uh, searches vehicle, you know, they're getting handwriting comparisons. And of course, Sherwood, Sherwood Morrell, you know, this suspect is not your Zodiac, you know, immediately, uh, you know, just, just discontinues it. And I think this guy, I don't know, you know, I think this guy might have, cost them some points in the end you know because he, I mean, he cleared eight thousand people you know that's that's yeah. just insane he, exoner um, he exonerates this guy as well because the letter doesn't match but his protege says oh well i don't know right yeah exactly you know you got the guy who's training right underneath you who's saying like uh yeah you know it's like um uh you know this this could very well be it um but yeah so they're trying to get um yeah they're they're trying to get um uh, they're tr they're basically they're trying to get a a warrant to go to Vallejo, I believe, and search one of Arthur Lee Allen's trailers. Um, but uh, but yeah, he won't sign off on a warrant for Allen's house. Why not? Why not? He said it's not enough. Now, unless we bring in a handwriting match or some DNA, you know, how are we supposed to get evidence if we can't toss his house? These are all legitimate concerns. You know, they're like it, basically Mullinax is like the judge won't do the warrant because we can't. You know, we would it's just not enough to to pin it on. Um, and uh, their chief comes in. What do you guys want to do? You know, uh, you know, well, we can't. We you know we can't get a warrant. You know, and we need we need his right hand. You know, we need to get if if he's writing these letters with his right hand, we need his writing off the right hand. And the the trail kind of goes cold on Arthur Lee Allen. They don't have anything. They can't. They can't do anything. They're forced to basically pursue other suspects. And this time, we have that great time lapse shot of the tower being built in San Francisco. Uh, really showing the passage of time, you know, so really good. showing, yeah, it's like, oh my God, you know, like you were saying earlier, there's huge chunks of time just passed in this in the blink of an eye. 
uh, and it's absolutely nuts. I don't know how long it took them to construct this, um, but I, I love, after it's constructed, the head of, it's, it's one year later, sorry, the head of uh, the Chronicle was like, you wrote the, the Department of Justice and told them that you should be put in charge of the Zodiac case on our letterhead, and, and I love that. Who better than me? A mocked man. Like, it's <laughs> it's so good. Uh, and this is really kind of, not the last time we see uh, Robert Downey Jr., but one of the last times that we see him. He is looking fucking rough. He is um, disheveled, man. He's it, so yeah, strung he, out. <coughs> yeah, he's, he's looking, yeah, he's he's looking terrible. And, and, you know, they they basically, I don't, you know, he basically quits. He's basically fired, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, you know, and I love that Jake Gyllenhaal coming up to him. He's like, Paul, are you okay? He's like, no, but thank you for yeah. asking. And I mean, he, just he, wants to, he wants to grab a, a drink at 10 in the morning. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, and Morty's anybody, you know, and Paul, where are you going? And he shoots that guy, the bird. <laughs> and he just, and, you know, basically unceremoniously is quit uh, or quits or is fired, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, but yeah, that is, that's one of the last times we're gonna, um, yeah, that's kind of odd, especially for Robert Downey Jr. You'd think he would have hung out in this movie a little bit longer. Um, yeah, Pretty not saying, man. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, you know, thinking of it now, it's like, this is Robert Downey Jr. And he's not in this as a main, you know, he's main, yeah. but about halfway through the movie, he's gone. Um, but yeah, we cut to Armstrong. Uh, he's interviewing, uh, Arthur Lee Allen's sister-in-law, uh, she says that a social worker, uh, you know, this, Alan had a social worker and that the social worker even said that he couldn't talk about a formal formal patient. So he straight up said that Lee was capable of killing people, um, that Arthur Lee Allen, uh, a, 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 you know, a state social worker, said that he was definitely capable of murdering someone. Um, and this is where we find out he's going back to he's going to school in Santa Rosa and then he has multiple, multiple uh, uh, trailers. And that they're not going to have to go through Vallejo to get to Santa Rosa, you know, and and get the search warrant and get to get to his trailer and check it out. And they go to Sherwood Morrell's protege. The protege gives him the uh, the protege gives him the go ahead. Like, yeah, dude, you can totally like. I I think that it could possibly you know that this this his handwriting could possibly be a match, and that you shouldn't write you shouldn't mark this guy off just because of um uh, just because of handwriting. Um, but yeah, this, this whole scene with him, with them searching the trailer is just, um, uh, it's just fucking weird. It is one of the most bizarre parts of the movie. Just the dead squirrels in the freezer. Just escalates, yeah. Oh yeah. There's squirrels running all over the place. Uh, I, I didn't know if you caught this. Did you catch what's in his bedroom? Did no. you see what's, what's on his floor what? when they, when they go in there? It is a huge huge wooden dildo and a jar of Vaseline. Oh, actually, I did say that, yeah. God damn it, man. Yeah, I mean, do whatever you want to in your spare time. I'm not poking fun of anything like that, but it just really adds to the eeriness of being in this guy's The mistake. Trailer. Yes. Oh. This, like, what the fuck is this guy doing in here? Um, you know, and they uh, they find, what, they find the jacket that is apparently really from uh, closely, closely resembles a jacket I think he was wearing at the Paul Stein murders. Um, they wind up finding gloves. They wind up finding guns. Uh, it, it, it's really, it's really, you know, quite insane. All the stuff that they find here. not one, but two windbreak, not one, but two windbreakers, like the ones from the Paul Stein murder, and a pair of black gloves. You know, and that's and they're the exact same size as the ones that the Zodiac wears. Um, this is just kind of this is just kind of nuts. 
uh, all the stuff that they're finding here. They find uh, two twenty two revolvers, which is actually what was used in some of the murders. Some of the murders used a nine millimeter, um, and also find a rifle that you know that the, as soon as Toski picks up that rifle, Armstrong's like, yeah, for picking the little kitties as they come bouncing out. So obviously he's got you know he's got the weaponry ready that he was uh, talking about. Uh, and, and right at that moment, Arthur Lee Allen pulls up. Hey, Allen, you remember us? Yeah, and right, right then, you know, it's just that back, it's just that shot of his back. Uh, and that's that's kind of the end of our scene. But um, unfortunately for uh, unfortunately for Toski and Armstrong, uh, you know, they got the search warrant, but it's just, uh, it's just not going to be enough on the handwriting. Ballistics, no match. Prints, no match. Writing, no match on either hand. Um but in real life, from what I've heard, you know, he said he was left-handed. They forced him to give a uh, handwriting sample with his right hand, and it just looked like chicken scratch. It just looked like complete crap. And, you know, there's I've seen the picture of it. There's no way that this guy's handwriting would have matched up in any way. It looked like a toddler, you know, was, was drawn. It'd be like me trying to write with my left hand. I, I just couldn't do it. Uh, and I love this scene between Toski and his chief. You know, he's like, I couldn't tell if I just really wanted it to be him or if I just wanted this to be over. He's like, you did it because you wanted it. You know, you're mad because you wanted it to be him. He's like, not just because you wanted it to be over. Um, you know, and that's that's a really great scene, especially, you know, Dave Toski had ulcers and physically his health deteriorated quite a bit from this case. Um, and, you know, all the media that was, that was surrounding it. Um, and of course with, um, you know, and of course with, with all of this real life stuff happening with the Zodiac, we've got the, we've got the dirty Harry, you know, movie, him in the theater, uh, yeah, so special, special screening, right? The, the, the Marquis had special screening for the SFPD. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Um, and, and this, yeah, if anyone's seen dirty Harry, like it's, it got its inspiration from Zodiac. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've actually never seen Dirty Harry, believe it or not. <clears throat> um, Ooh, I've seen it ages ago. <laughs> but I love this Toski. He's like, I got to go out. I got to get some air. And we really kind of have our first meeting between Robert Graysmith and Dave Toski. And, uh, you know, he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, I'm a cartoonist, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and um, I love that. You know, I work I work at the Chronicle of Paul Avery and blah, blah, blah. And uh, he's like, well, you know, you never know. They might catch him. He's like, how? They're already making movies about it. You know, and that's the end of the conversation. Yeah, you know, yeah. He's like, "Don't worry, you'll catch him." Yeah, how? They're already making movies about it. Um, I yeah, that's that's fantastic, especially for their first exchange. You know, I think this is I think this is great. Um, and um, and yeah, it's just you know, it kind of it kind of marks a spot in the in the movie. You know, where things are not looking good for this investigation. We cut to four years later. Uh, Paul Avery's gone. He's writing for the San, uh, Sacramento Bee. Um, and we've got that kind of conversation between Graysmith and the guy who took his desk. And this guy seems like such a twat. Like, well, he seems I, like... I love, um, I love, sorry, just, just before the way, the way we show the passing of time, um, there's just a dark screen for ages and then the music changes, the musical changes. And then there's like quotes of like famous events. Like you hear, um, uh, it's Nixon, right? He's like, I am not a crook. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause this is the, this is the biggest, uh, the biggest jump of time. It's four years. Yeah, so far, yeah. I think they have one later that's like seven years or something. Oh, uh, that's right, later at the end, yeah. But yeah, this is the uh, this is Armstrong calling it quits. He's like, I gotta raise these kids. He's like, I can't be on call anymore. 
Um, and I, you know, he is like, I, you know, I got to have a family and I love right before he walks out, you know, I'm not leaving you holding the bag on anything, am I? You know, and it's like, that's your, you know, that's, that's the last thing that crosses your mind before you leave this squad car for the first, for the last time with your friend. And he just doesn't want to leave Toski holding the bag. Uh, but I don't blame him, man. You know, being on call all the time, dealing with the, you know, fucking psychopaths like the Zodiac and, you know, he wants to go out there and raise a family and try his raw fish to just see her and stuff. Um, but, um, but yeah, this is where Armstrong kind of exits the, the, the movie, which always bummed me. I love Armstrong. I think he's just so great. You know, and I hate, I hate seeing them get split up like that. It always, it always is like a really, I love that the, that, that the real Armstrong in real life was like, you know, he had a life and this didn't consume him like, like it did some of the other ones. But at the same time, I always hate seeing him kind of, uh, exit the movie. You know, that sucks. Um. But yeah, after uh, after that, we've got Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, just sitting there reading through his Zodiac stuff, and I love Chloe Sevigny. No one's got more Zodiac stuff than you, and that's when he, like, wait, no, there is somebody who has more Zodiac stuff than me, and who's that person, Zoheb? Paul Avery. Paul Avery. Um, yeah, and he winds up, you know, I I love he goes in there, and uh, the little things that tell the passage of time, you know, he's got an Atari, you know, or he's got the Pong, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Um, and, you know, yeah, one of my kids would kill me for that. I, I absolutely love that. And he's, you know, he looks awful. He's in four years, he's aged oh like God, a decade. It's insane. It's, but it's, I, I love, I love that. I love that. Um, he asks what, what he ever did about it. And he's like, oh, that's right. You went to the, to the library. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> I is, love that. Yeah, I, you I, haven't seen, you haven't seen seven. Nope. Um, so it's not really going to make much sense to you, but there's a pretty big knock on seven. Um, I'm not. This is. I'm not going to spoil anything for you because, like, you've got to see the movie. But essentially, what really, what really helps them to find the killer is um, that they went to the library. <laughs> this oh, is okay. like a. It's like a big knock that a lot of critics have on Seven. So that's um, cool. Yeah, I, I love seeing stuff like that. that. Yeah, man. But yeah, I, I yeah, and he's yeah. Someone should write a book. Yeah, someone should write a fucking book. What about? He's like Zodiac. You know, he's like, dude. It's four fucking years ago. Let it go. Like, no, this was important. You know, what did you ever do about it? You rambled through my trash. You loomed over my desk. Am I being unkind? You know, it's like, it, this is, I think, RDJ's best moment in the whole movie. He just mm. annihilates him. And he's like, oh, that's right. You went to the library. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, he's got the joints all over the table. He's just drinking straight from the bottle. You know, this guy is, you know, and you would think that with all this going on that I thought for sure that this guy would be dead in five years. But Paul Avery actually lived until like 2000 or 2001. Uh, and I was kind of surprised. I was like, whoa, like I, I didn't because th- the way they kind of paint it in the film is he's going downhill like fast. But um, I wouldn't have thought that he lived through the 90s, you know, but uh, that's that's kind of that's kind of crazy. Um, but, you know, this is the um, the dissolving of their friendship, basically, you know, sorry, I wasted your time. And he just leaves him. And, you know, this whole scene, you think as a viewer, you're almost thinking that Graysmith is going to get Paul Avery and be like, yeah, let's go, let's go run the, you know, let's go walk the beat and let's go write a book. And he's like, oh no, no, I'm sorry. Not that I haven't been waiting for you here to reinvigorate my sense of purpose. You know, like, I love that. He's like, it was four years ago. Let it fucking go. You know, he has no interest. This totally backfires on Graysmith in a way that I don't think he expected. You know, maybe, uh, no, I don't want to do that, but not it, not it ending this way. You know, not it ending very abruptly and very kind of ugly. Um, 
And, uh, and yeah, that's the last of RDJ. That's the last of him in this movie. Uh, that kind of bums me out. We, we just lost Armstrong. We just lost yeah. Avery. You know, four years have passed, uh, you know, where we're – we're losing things. And obviously Graysmith's wife is getting more and more pissed off. You know, he's spending way too much time, uh, like doing this stuff and it's kind of starting to affect her. Um, but I love the shot right after that of Mark Ruffalo just sitting in that car, still at the wa- corner of Washington and Cherry, you know, where he first encountered the Zodiac. He's still sitting there. He drives off and, you know, goes from right to left. And, and as soon as we stop on that cab, boom, there's Jake Gyllenhaal getting out. You know, it's like I love that. <laughs> that kind of fluid motion almost uh, is really, really, really cool. I love that. Um, but this uh, this is really where you know they've uh, the scene after that is where they've 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 met you know once before politely uh, you know just but now to, they're collaborating right now they're as as far as Dave Toski will kind of let him you know it's like you know there's there's kind of you know you got to kind of treat this with cop gloves it's like I can't just let you in here and just do all this stuff this part is the most inter- what some of the most interesting stuff to me about Zodiac is. The relationship between Graysmith and Toski and how they let Graysmith kind of just, you know, kind of let him in. I mean, it's highly illegal. I mean, what the stuff that they're doing, they're like, oh, yeah, you can just look through our police records and do this and do that. And it's like, there no fucking way, you know, is that is that legal? But I mean, is it, you know, yeah, it's illegal, but you know, kind of help Graysmith get closer to solving this murder. And, you know, and it's crazy to think just of all the police departments, you know, Napa, Vallejo, San Francisco PD, you know, and it's a, a cartoonist. A cartoonist is the one who got the closest and collected some of the hardest evidence, you know, and it might, maybe it's easier for one guy to do it because he's devoting all of his time to one case, you know, versus these police departments who deal with, you know, probably dozens of, you know, dozens if not hundreds of cases a day. Um, but yeah, basically, Gyllenhaal has been, you know, researching everything. Um, he's found a couple of uh, code cracking books and says that everything in these books can be found in the zodiac, uh, in the in the zodiac ciphers. And these are the most intro beginning, you know, beginning code breaking books that there are. He's like, so I I know that you thought zodiac was military, so I went to every military base, you know, within a reasonable distance and see who's checked these books out. And in only one place, on only one military base were all three of these books stolen and they're because they didn't want they didn't want to know who checked them out from the Presidio library. That's really fucking interesting. That oh, is like yeah. that's so good. You know, again, a cartoonist, you know, and he's impressing he's impressing Toski. You know, he's really like, um Yeah, he immediately who are you again? You know, he's like, you know, I'm a cartoonist. You know, I just want to help. Uh <laughs> Toski think, thinks he's he's like someone from like from a law enforcement background, right? Like he's just completely like blown away by how diligent this guy's been. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, I can't, I can't let you help. I can't like, you know, I can't get you a warrant. I can't let you investigate. And I certainly wouldn't tell you to go see Ken Narlo in Napa, you know, and he's kind <laughs> of, it's, it's like he, what he's doing is technically illegal as fuck. I mean, mm. am I, you're the lawyer. Am I wrong? Like, so have, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was saying. I, was, <laughs> I mean, you're the lawyer. Am I? Am I wrong? Like, is is what he's doing like not illegal? Oh, sorry. I just completely like. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if you cut out there for a second. I was just like, holy shit! But this is not getting edited out. I was like, <laughs> I was like, hello. <laughs> I was just. 
<laughs> I was just literally like like looking at my notes and I was like, wait, yeah, okay. Because this is like, this is where like shit gets turned around, is it? But yeah, totally illegal, man. Even here as well. I mean, it's, you're, you're giving away, you're giving away confidential information, um, something, even information that might come in handy later down the road. Um, you're just giving it to a civilian. I mean, that's right. a no-go, dude. Right. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's absolutely nuts to, to, to see that, and, you know, and, Ken, you know, Ken, they send him from Toski to, uh, Ken Narlo down in Napa. Um, and, you know, and I, I love that, you know, he kind of, he's talking to Ken Narlo and, um, you know, in the, in the middle of him talking, you know, he's like, uh, what he say? He's like, he's like, Dave Toski sent you. He's like, yes. He's like, who are you? He's like, I'm a cartoonist. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. I'm a cartoonist bit. It always, it always seems to come back really well. And I was just holding his, his bag, his little briefcase. Yeah, right. He's he always looks like, I don't know. He always looks, like, and especially as the movie goes on, you know, you see the effect that it had on, on, uh, on Jake Gyllenhaal's character. You know, you see that you know this that this was not something that he just walked away from. He gets more and more disheveled, um, and starts looking kind of, you know, kind of kind of sketchy. You know, as as it goes on, looking kind of rough. Right, yeah. But basically, um, yeah, we've got Ken Narlow from Napa who sends. Um, um, who, uh, who, yeah, who sends him to the Vallejo Police Department to meet with, uh, Sergeant Jack Molinax. Uh, and, you know, I, I, he's like, I understand what you're trying to do. He's like, but, you know, you're not a police officer. I can't let you help. And he's like, you know, he, yeah, well, who cares? He's like, Zodiac's dead and gone, right? And he's like, that's what they say. You know, he's like, so what's the harm? You know, he's like, what's, what's the, you know, what's, what's it hurting to let me go and look at these files? You know, it's really, it's really not hurting anything. And I think that's, uh, I think that's, you know, fantastic. It's a good way to, you know, kind of sneak your way in and get what you want. Um, because, you know, he, you know, even though the Jack Mullinax doesn't want to let him come in here and do this stuff, you know, if it helps with the case, it helps with the case, man. Um, and they're just letting him look through their files, no pens, no paper, you know, having to memorize all that stuff. You know, having to oh, oh, how how dude Robert Graysmith has to be one incredibly intelligent motherfucker. Like So I I've got a like a little little thing here. <laughs> this is like a little bit of inside little how lawyers kind of do their stuff around here. Um when you go and inspect uh, a subpoena at a court, um uh, yeah, some courts don't actually like a lot of them actually they don't let you uplift them, so you can't really take them back to your office. Um, and essentially you're stuck with like kind of just taking down whatever the hell you can at the court. So in like a controlled environment, you, you have to take your own notes and shit like that. This is what this fucking totally reminds me of. Cause it's so ridiculous. It's such a ridiculous rule. Like I completely get that you're trying to protect confidential information and all that, but it's so this, that's what it reminded me of, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I could, yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm sure that's aggravating like um but yeah just as i love this quick montage we've got him just cycling through the you know and that's this is really what this feeling the jake gyllenhaal feeling just of just like being swept up in this tidal wave of zodiac information is how you feel when you read the robert the robert graysmith books it's like oh my dude uh, like so many dates and names i can't handle it anymore like i'm almost nauseous <coughs> Um, sorry, I clear my throat there. Um, I love, I love how he just immediately goes to that diner and he just absolutely just scribbles everything he can, just memory dumps onto a napkin. Yes. It's so, 
it's so natural and so human and it's so smart too it's like i gotta get this out i gotta get this out right yeah it's like write all this down now before you forget something i love right right when he leaves he's so concerned with writing his stuff down he's like briefcase and turns around and grabs a briefcase and turns <laughs> back right. around and then yeah who's that some cartoonist thinks he's gonna solve zodiac hmm good for him <laughs> um and that guy actually pops up later at the end he's he's one of the last characters that we see with mike Michaud. um but uh, but yeah, like you said, he just goes and memory dumps in that diner of just how I mean, it's just incredible the information that he that he held just uh, just to be able to finish you know to 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 put all this book together and you know, put all you know, put all those books together and not have that information at his immediate disposal, having to recall stuff from memory. Um, that's just incredible. But yeah, we cut to him meeting Mark Ruffalo. He's thanks for meeting me. We're not meeting. We're just two guys having coffee. You know, he's like, um, and basically Robert is asking him some questions, you know, you know, what happened to Mike Michaud? You know, why are you asking me? He's like, you know, that's, that's a Vallejo case. He's like, Paul Stein is mine. You got four minutes left. I love, you know, he's just, you know, he wants to, he wants this guy to help, you know, kind of, but he's like, dude, I can't get caught, you know, doing this. This is a big deal. Um, and uh, and I love you know Jake Gyllenhaal is 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 breaking down uh, you know just just kind of breaking down about Darlene Farron and her and her painting party uh, you know it, it's a painting party a what a painting party people show up and help you paint your house that sounds terrible sounds like a terrible party you know <laughs> like I love that yeah, I um, but uh, but yeah they're saying that Darlene probably knew Zodiac and if Darlene knew Zodiac Mike Majot probably knew Zodiac. Um, and that basically he can't find Mike Majot and that if you're going to connect Zodiac to Darlene Fair and you're going to have to go somewhere else, um, you know, and you're going to have to, you're going to have to figure something out. And this is where he first told Dave Sosky. Yeah. There's phone calls that happened at one thirty AM that went to Darlene's family. And it was just this heavy breathing. And it was before anybody knew she had been shot. And he's like, this isn't the Vallejo files. He's like, yeah, this is exactly what I'm talking about. The jurisdictional bullshit that let this guy slip right through the oh, cracks. Totally. You know, the right red there. type bullshit. Yeah. Right. He's like, so let me, he's like, so it's a coincidence that, she, that the family members got a phone call 90 minutes after she died. He's like, if he's like, you know, we understand that Zodiac has been taking credit for murders that didn't happen, but he, you know, these phone calls happened right afterwards. That proves that he knew who she was. He didn't right. wait until the papers came out and saw it. You know, it just proves that he knew. And he's like, that's good, Robert. He's like, that's good. You know, to, for, you know, and I love after how hard Toski has been on him, you know, and, you know, it gets, you know, they have a love hate relationship at points, but he's not, you know, he's not just totally up for this idea. Um, but, uh, but you know, he's like, that's good, Robert. You know, and he tips his hat. And, you know, he gives credit where credit is due. Um, and, of course, he sends him down another rabbit hole. He's like, you know, it's funny you mentioned the Zodiac calling people because, uh, yeah, because he, he called somebody once. He's like, who? And he's like, I couldn't tell you that. But Melvin Bell, I could. You know, Brian Cox's character. I love how he just discreetly kind of like, yeah. I can't tell you that, but this guy can. Just nudges him, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it cuts to Graysmith at his house. You know, and it, the I guess I guess kind of like the the staff that works there at Belli's house. Like, I'm sorry, he's usually not this late. Oh, that's fine. I've only been waiting two hours. <laughs> um, yeah, right. But this is really important. This is where we find out that this woman says that the Zodiac called her and said that it is my birthday and I have to kill. Um, this would have been on December the 18th. And this, this, this is a huge deal because guess whose birthday is December the 18th, Zoheb? Is he your birthday? 
No, it's Arthur Lee Allen's. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I set you up Holy for that shit. one, though, dude. I set Holy you shit, up for dude. I was like, I was like, oh, okay, I can't remember this movie that well to know, <laughs> to know that, dude. Because, like, at the end here, we start losing, like, like uh, the, the end is where everything kind of comes together a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just like, wait. December the 18th, my birthday is December, December the 10th. I'm like, well, do we really have birthdays that close? Like, shit. No, no. For the record, uh, June 14th, it's an American holiday called Flag uh, Day. Flag Day that nobody celebrates. Nobody, it's nothing, <laughs> nothing happens for, for that. Um, but yeah, basically, he, you know, he finds, you know, Melbourne, uh, he, you know, he found, finds out about the Melbourne Bell Eye call that, you know, that the Zodiac said his, his birthday was on the 18th. And now this sends Gray Smith down another rabbit hole. And he's trying to find out. He goes to Mel Nikolai at the Department of Justice and starts asking him about, um, you know, nobody ever, nobody ever tracked down this, this lead. And he was like, dude, off the record, Bill Armstrong, check this out. And he's like, you fingerprints, DNA. He's like, this, this, what you're following, this information that you're following is not going to help you. He's like, you've got to, you know, you've, you, you're looking in the wrong places. You've got to look at the right evidence because that, that's, that, that's the only thing that really, the only thing that's really going to matter. Uh, and we've got immediately after his meeting with Mel Nikolai, Robert Graysmith coming home. You know, it's his wife who's just sitting at the table. She seems kind of annoyed. You know, it's like she's been waiting. You know, did you have a good day? She's like, it's you know, it's a long day. Um, but uh, immediately she's like, who's Sherwood Morell? And apparently, um, you know, Robert Graysmith has been trying to get Sherwood Morell to look at some handwriting samples. Uh, and she's like, oh yeah, he said he'd meet you at seven. He's like, so you're taking off work? You know, and now we're starting to really feel the tension in their marriage. Right, exactly. Uh, it, it puts a lot of strain on them. Right, and he, not only that, there's an article. Robert Graysmith has quietly been shopping his book about the Zodiac. You know, and he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, that's not really something that we want out." She's like, "Are you embarrassed?" No, I'm not embarrassed. I don't want to die. You know, and it's like that's like obvious in you know in the in the hunt for the serial killer that lives you know probably you know, could possibly live literally right down the street from you. You know, um, but this is another explosive lead. This kind of Maybe somewhat ends up being fruitless, depending on how you look at it. But this is an unknown caller who winds up being a man named Wallace Penny. Just another random name and another random player in this really convoluted date. This, web of, oh, this web of fucking deceit and villainy. Yes, and just betrayal. No, um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, but yeah, basically he says that there is a man named Bob Vaughn. And Bob Vaughn has a friend of his named Rick Marshall, and Rick Marshall is having Bob Vaughn hold these film canisters for him, and that he is the Zodiac, Rick Marshall is, and that Rick Marshall filmed his murders and gave them to Bob Vaughn, and Bob Vaughn doesn't know that these are murders uh, that that he's holding. Um, this winds up being some of uh, some of some of the most intense parts. Of the movie, I know my girlfriend and I. You know, we've we've we frequently talk about this part um, with Jake Gyllenhaal meeting up with um, uh, Bob Vaughn, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, we're, yeah. we're, and and not to blow past it either. Jake Gyllenhaal is also now getting phone calls with just that heavy breathing on the other line, and it's like, oh man, now he's now he's fucking on to you. And I just I could not imagine, you know, I could not imagine a worser fate than just like looking over your shoulder every second to make sure this guy yeah, is about man. to kill you. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, Rick Marshall was somebody who was definitely looked at by the police. Uh, and it kind of, we kind of start getting sit down this Rick Marshall alley because this is just a different name, you know, but this is just something that, uh, something that, something that we haven't checked out before. So this right, could, yeah. could possibly be it, but, um, this is definitely one of the most eerie scenes with, the very memorable, man. Like just yes. the way, just the way Fincher plays it. It's like, holy shit, this is, this is him, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, and basically, uh, Robert Graysmith is there because you know he has received this uh, somewhat anonymous phone call who he finds out is from Wallace Penny. Wallace Penny tells Robert Graysmith that Bob Vaughn has these murders on canister, uh, on film, and that he's holding it that he doesn't know. Uh, a lot of this is also Sherwood Morell is once 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 they find out they find some handwriting samples from Rick Marshall. Graysmith takes them to Sherwood Morrell, who tells him that this that this is the closest that these that this is the closest that these uh, that the handwriting samples have ever been, and that there's not there hasn't really been a, a, a closer match, and you know that this could possibly be him. Uh, that's and you know if true, obviously you know Jake Gyllenhaal is is getting you know really excited about the possibility that this guy could be him. Uh, and you know, I, I obviously, yeah, I would be too. Um, but we, I actually, I th- actually think we might have skipped a part. Uh, we skipped a part with, oh. uh, uh, we skipped the part with Dave Toski getting kicked out of homicide. Oh, they, that's right. Because, because, uh, they thought it was, it might be him, right? Like, right. They think that he might be the Zodiac, uh, because of these anon- anonymous letters that he's written, uh, to somebody. So, so basically, Basically, there was a writer who wrote a fictionalized version of Dave Toski. Dave Toski got a kick out of it. He wrote some fan letters and, and basically asked for the character to be brought back, and that's it. And people are accusing him of, of drumming up publicity for himself, which turned out to be a total falsehood. Dave Toski never wrote those letters. He was unfairly kicked out of homicide, and I think he was brought back later on. But he was still a police officer his entire life, and eventually retired in '89, I think. Um, very yeah. long and storied career, man. Like very influ- influential. Right. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, basically they kicked Dave Tosti out of homicide, and um, uh, and you know, of course, Robert Gray asked him if he ever heard of someone named Rick Marshall. It's like, dude, now is not the time. You need to like. Yeah. I understand like you're obsessed with this now, but you're gonna piss this woman. You know, Dave Tosti's wife. You know, he just takes that phone out of her hand and ha- hangs it up, and he's like, "Just, just stop! I'm gonna get drunk and listen to my big band records." And I'm like, "Right, exactly." And this is like, um, this is Graysmith's sort of like, he's losing touch with how to be human. <laughs> yes, like he's he's being he's being so so he's so far neck deep into this case, and it's not even it shouldn't even be a case because he's not even a cop, right? He's just so obsessed with it. That he's like, how do I even act like a social? Like, how do I even act in in society, dude? Like, you know, I'm losing touch of who I am. Right. Yeah. It's absolutely. He's become so obsessed with it, and basically, what has happened is there's a new letter that's been written from the Zodiac, and they think it's Dave Toski, and that's why they've kicked him out. Um, and it's it's absolutely insane that they that they really think this, but they kick him out of homicide, and internal affairs show up. Um, and it, you know that that is a big deal for someone like Dave Toski, who prides himself as being such a great cop, and he is a great cop, and he was a great cop, um, and didn't deserve the rap. That I think that's why George Lucas named that. Thing. He's like, dude, he just got a bum rap, you know. Um, 
It just got a bum rap. Right. Uh, yeah, he, you know, he, uh, he really, I felt really bad for, uh, Dave Tusky and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I love Robert Graysmith confronting him outside of that. It looks like a courthouse or something. And he's like, Robert, leave me alone. He's like, stop calling my house. He's like, the Rick Marshalls of this world will bleed you dry. He's like, you know what the chances are of us arresting someone now? Too much time has gone by. Too much evidence is lost. People forget Robert, you know, they get old. Like, oh my God! You know, just you know, it's it has really time just slams into you right here. It has been forever. You know, this case has been going on forever, and they are no, they're almost no closer to solving it than they were at the beginning. You know, because handwriting's not working, DNA's not working, nothing's working. You know, and they've eight thousand suspects, and everyone's been cleared. Um, and I love Toski. You know, right as Robert starts talking again, no, Robert, I am through with this. I'm th- I am through with you. Like, I do not want to talk about this anymore. And, I mean, you see the extent that it's consumed Graysmith's life when you cut back to Graysmith and he's cooking dinner and his two sons are, like, looking through the, I think it's like a Equinox, like a, like a Zodiac kind of calendar, yeah. seeing, seeing if there's any murders that occurred right around the same time. Um, and uh, and that's, you know, that's, it's, yeah, that's when... Um, uh, that's basically when he cracks the code. I believe he finds a copy of one of the ciphers in the Code Breakers book. Uh, the kid finds one of them, and uh, you know, Robert Graysmith winds up cracking the code, and uh, and uh, unfortunately, yeah, we, we actually now here is where we where we get our last shot of Robert Downey Jr. The very last one, uh, sitting at a bar with an oxygen tank. Um, so basically, yeah, he's, he's getting some kind of reputation as being the Zodiac kind of guy, the, the code cracker. Um, uh, and this is ultimately not gonna, not going well with his marriage. You know, obviously he's on television now. He's been in the paper, you know, he's shopping a book around trying to figure out who this guy is. Um, and he's telling his wife that she's just being paranoid and it's like, no, she's got legitimate you know, she's definitely got legitimate concerns. And at this point, earlier on, one of the kids says, how come you and mom don't sleep in the same bed anymore? You know, so this marriage is just done. You know, it's 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 basically done. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's run its course, man. Right. Uh, and I love when he's talking to the kids earlier on and he's like, hey, don't tell mom about our secret project. Um, but I, I, I love that. And this, this is a really good scene for Graysmith, too. You know, what, what, she's like, what are you going to do? What, arrest him? He's like, don't be don't be ridiculous. You know, and she's like, why? Why are you doing this? He's like, I need to know it's him. I need to look at him and know that it's him. And that's definitely going to come back in later, too. Um, and this is the scene. I've skipped ahead a little bit, but this is the scene where he winds up meeting with Bob Vaughn outside that movie theater and follows him back to his house. Uh, one of the most butthole-clinchingly nervous scenes of the whole movie. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, dude. They, like, basically, this handwriting of the posters that Rick Marshall has done, which which Robert Graysmith took to Sherwood Morrell, Sherwood Morrell is saying that this handwriting is the closest it's ever been. They think they might have the Zodiac finally. You know, this is this is really intense. But... What does he find out when he gets to this house? He finds out that basically uh, it is true that that um, Bob Vaughn was given a film canister by Rick Marshall, but that he took it back in 1972, and he had no idea what was on it. Um, and he also finds out, he's like, no, I've had this handwriting checked, and uh, Rick Marshall drew these posters, and you know, our, our handwriting expert says that it looks it's the closest he's ever seen. He's like, Mr. Graysmith, I draw the posters. And it's like, oh, 
shit. Like, like, like the feeling of you might be in the belly of the beast, basically. That this guy, this this guy just admitted to you that he's the one who draws the posters, and Sherwood Morell just told you that the handwriting is the closest it's ever been. And immediately after that, he's like, "Here, I've got some, you know, I've 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 got other posters down in the basement. I can show you. You know, not many people in California have basements. I do." He's like, "Oh my god, like it just, God, that is that, that is just absolutely terrifying." Uh, to think that you might actually be in the house of the Zodiac now. And th- the whole scene downstairs is just, it, oh, man. This guy comes across as so nice and so sweet at first. And as soon as they get downstairs, it's like a total 180. You know, it, it's just, it, it's like totally, totally. It's like a horror film. Right. It totally, yeah, it totally changes direction automatically. And uh, you can see him trying to backpedal. Uh, I won't. I, I I won't take any more of your time. He's like, no, it's fine. I I insist. You know, come downstairs and check out these posters. You know that I've got. Um, and basically, what Bob Vaughn is doing, he's saying that yeah, I've got these posters down here. These are the originals. You what you have is a copy. You know, I can see if we have the most dangerous game poster back here. Um, and basically it ends up being kind of fruitless, but you see the floorboards creaking over their heads. This oh. dust is coming down. He's like, is someone else here? He's like, no, you know, and he's just, you know, Bob Vaughn isn't thinking everything. He just says, no, you know, it's not a big deal. And the second time Jake Gyllenhaal says something about it and he's like, you sure no one else is here? He's like, well, would you like to go upstairs and check? And it's like, oh, he's so quaint and terrifying. Mm. Um, and no, no, I'm sorry. He's not, I don't think he is checking for posters. He's checking for when the most dangerous game came out in the theater. And came if, out, yeah. yes, thank yeah. Okay. I, 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 uh, lazy podcasting here. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, no. no, because it's like, he's trying to corroborate the, the dates, the, the date uh, lines up to when it came out. Right. Exactly. Um, and this, yeah, this great scene of, of, of Robert Graysmith just booking it up the steps and you can see the guy walk in the background. It's like, fuck that man. Oh, like, man. yeah, he turns off the light. Yeah. He, yeah. Pulls the cord. Ugh, he turns off that light and you know, Graysmith gets the fuck out of there. And as soon as he, he's going up the steps, he's getting closer to the step. Like it's such a terrifying shot. It's, it's so creepy. Um, and yeah, that's where he confronts him in the in front of the steps and uh, or right right at, right at the steps of his house, and he just unlocks the door and he's like, "No, oh, there you go," you know. And all of a sudden, is like the nicest guy in the world again, <laughs> you know. It's like, "Have a good night, Mister Graysmith." Mm, I know. Um, but yeah, this is this is this is all just fantastic stuff. Uh, you know, it's 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 great, especially you know we're seeing the derailment of great Robert Graysmith's marriage. His wife has taken the kids and gone to her mother's. Um, you know, and I don't blame her a bit. I hate to, even Robert Graysmith, the real Robert Robert Graysmith, was like, I I totally see why my wife divorced me. He's like, I, he's like, I totally see it. He's like, I don't, you know. And she her her note literally says, "Don't call." You know, it's like I yeah, it's it sucks, but um, basically, you know, after that, he's kind of on his own. You know, there's no, you know, Dave Tosky doesn't want anything to do with him. His wife is gone. Paul Avery is 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 gone. Um, but he does find a little bit of glimmer hope. He finds, uh, I believe it's, is it Darlene's sister? I believe is is Yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't really pin that. Um, I, I really couldn't. I mean, the, the letters, like, she, she's, she's all fucked up for one. Right, yeah. Right. Linda, her name is. Linda, thank you. Um, 
Yeah, I can't. I, if she's a friend or a sister, the movie never really states, and my memory is just yeah. failing me after you know after right. hours of talking about this. No, that's right. But she confirms. She confirms. That, I mean, like the the painting party happens, and the guy showed up in a suit, mm-hmm. and then um, she also says that Darlene was scared of him, and then she just she absolutely just blurts out as he runs away. As he walks off, it wasn't Rick. It was Lee. Yes, that is such a good scene, and I love Jill. I love Jill. It was Rick. No, it wasn't Rick. Just say it. It was Rick, and it's like, oh my God, he wants this so bad, and then she's like, no, it's Lee, and uh, like this is the most damning thing I think about Arthur Lee Allen is the fact that Dave Toski and Bill Armstrong and all of them came to the conclusion that it was probably Arthur Lee Allen, and then you have basically a private investigator who had who has never heard the name Arthur Lee Allen. He doesn't know who Arthur Lee Allen is. He right. you know, he he he's not able to piece this together by himself. And eventually when she says the name Lee, he comes to a separate conclusion on right. all on his own that it that it's this guy. And that, that's hard to fight, man. Exactly. That's really hard to fight. Like Exactly. Yeah. Um like how does a random how does a random name that's been investigated by the police come like come full circle years later to an absolute random person who who Grace Smith is. Grace Smith Grace Smith is a random person. He's not a part of this investigation, like officially. Right, yeah. No, not at all. Not in any official capacity. Um and after his meeting with Linda, you know, Grace Smith runs to the Vallejo Police Department, you know, it's soaking down it's just he's soaked, it's pouring down rain, like, you know, Sergeant Molinax, you gotta let me in, you know, and it just God, this guy's life has just become nothing but Zodiac and uh, you know, but but Molinax just as a little I guess just a source of pity gives gives him five minutes in his records. And Linda states that some of Darlene's closest friends are Lee who used to bring uh include Lee who used to bring Darlene presents from Tijuana. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, the, but Molinax is not convinced, you know, that's just a name and a file that contains thousands. You know, he cuts him off. He's like, you know, Dave Toski agrees with me. He's like, our investigation into this subject is over. You know, I'm sorry. <coughs> and I love that. You know, he's like, I want to help you, man. But, he, he, I mean, I'm a cop and I didn't investigate it, you know, to the level that you are. This is your life now. And, of course, right after his meeting with Molinax, we cut to him spilling the coffee all over the files. And it's just, it's just like boxes everywhere with with zodiac shit you know just everywhere and it's just insane um and you know his his uh i believe ex-wife or soon-to-be ex-wife shows up um and you know she's like i can't have you you know i can't have the kids seeing you like this we can't do this you know whatever this is whatever you need to do robert just finish it you know just finish it and get it over with um and that's when she drops off. For the longest time, I thought these were divorce papers, but I'm not sure where she gets this. It's it's never really stated where she uh, if somebody sends this to her, you know, trying to get a yeah. hold of him. I don't. I didn't really understand this part. And after even reading the books, I'm not sure where. It's still a bit, yeah. Right. It's still a bit weird. Right, and this could be total bullshit. You know, this could just be total movie bullshit. And you know, it's just an exciting part. Um, because this is going to be our last, uh, our last viewing of Chloe Savigny as well. She's not popping back up anymore. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> basically w- within the file that she drops off, he, f- he, s- he finds Arthur Lee Allen's driver's license and his, and that first thing he notices is birth date. He's like, Oh my God, you know, it sees the birth date and that's, that's just it. <laughs> and <clears throat> right, exactly. 
I love this scene running to Mark Ruffalo's house. And, you know, Dave, you got to let me in. He's like, oh, my God, is he here? Call SFPD. I'm going to get my gun. You know, and he <laughs> goes downstairs in, that, in his little underwear Speedo with, like, the, throwing his robe on. And, um, yeah, I absolutely. You know, it's Arthur Lee Allen. Yeah, it's like, oh, my God. You know, Toski just so immediately crazy. stops all resistance. And he just opens up the door. How did you get that name? You know, it's like, oh, dude, you can tell he's got you now. Like, he's, you know, he's coming to the same conclusions that you are. And Toski can't keep that door closed. He's like, no, I can't. I've got to let him in. He's like, I, you know, this is, you know, I think that Toski stopped himself before he fell into it like Graysmith. But he, I could definitely see Toski falling into it like Graysmith did. Because um, this is obviously way more personal to him. He's the cop. You know, he should be the one solving this. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, basically, you know, Arthur uh, Arthur Lee Allen sent Toski a typed written letter apologizing that he wasn't the Zodiac. And they said out of 1,500 suspects, he's the only one who ever did it. And it is a constant in, like, police profiles with serial killers that they often try to help to mask their own involvement in the incident. Um, which is, which is kind of, you know, kind of nuts. You know, it's like when you steal five bucks from somebody and then you act like one of the people trying to help them find it, you know, like, uh, just what a, what a, sh that, those shit birds. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, um, but yeah, basically Graysmith comes in with all this evidence and proving that Arthur Lee Allen knew Darlene and it was in the Vallejo files. Um, and this is where we're cutting back to, Honestly, what I consider to be kind of the climax of the movie, they're they're eating yeah. breakfast and he's he's going over all of this all of this evidence and it's it's just fantastic. He, you know, he really gets Toski. He really is like, you know, this is, um, you know, this this is this this is the evidence as it is, and you can no longer deny it. And I think that's so great. You know, he's like, you know, the background of school children, school children, the background of school children, the misspellings of Christmas, you know, all of this stuff. He's like, it's all circumstantial, Robert. He's like, Paul Shirt's uh, wallet, his keys, his shirt. You know, we should have found some of those things in his trailer. But what does Arthur Lee Allen do? He moves to a new county and cleans his trailer out 48 hours after they search him. That's insane. You know, that is fucking insane. You know, the I know. There's just too much. There's too much that points to Arthur Lee Allen. And, like, I think it's just, it's damning, dude. Like, it's damning for Arthur Lee Allen, you know, it's just... Right, yeah. Um, now, basically, here we find out that while there were no letters written by the Zodiac, Arthur Lee Allen was in prison for um, uh, for basically touching another kid, I believe. Um, he was put in prison, and during that time, they received no letters from the Zodiac. And then, as soon as Arthur Lee Allen got out, boom! They have our, they have the first new Zodiac letter in four years. Uh, also, it ends up being you know it, it also ends up being uh, it, it, it also ends up being really interesting because it still doesn't prove that Arthur Lee Allen knew Darlene. It doesn't prove it at all until Arthur Lee Allen points out the fact that. Or not Arthur Lee Allen. That Robert Graysmith points out the fact that um, that you know he lived in his grandmother's basement and that it was door to door with the restaurant that Darlene Farron worked in. And I was like, oh my god. He's like, it's fifty feet. Right. Yeah, I, lo yeah, I, I love. I love that. He's like, feet away. he's like, is that true? He's like, yeah, I walked it. You know, it's like, oh my god, that's that's crazy. You know, and some of this stuff, I'm like, you didn't never. You looked at Arthur Lee Allen so hard that you never compared. Like, was he even in the area? Like, what? that does seem kind of almost like lazy. 
investigation to me. It's like, dude, I yeah, I would have checked to see if this guy was around or if he was yeah, in jail or something. I got that too. Um, it might be a timing thing. It might it might have happened earlier, and um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Right? Yeah. It's like yeah. Who who knows? You know, there's just so much information and stuff going on. But I love he finally gets Toski, and he's like he's like uh, he's like you're telling me you know you don't think this is true. He's like I can't prove this, Alan. He's like, uh, he's like, you know, I, it doesn't matter if I believe in it or not. I can't prove this. And he's like, just because you can't, uh, just because you can't prove it, doesn't mean it isn't true. He's like, oh, easy, dirty Harry. You know, I love that. You know, him calling Graysmith a character that he is, you know, that the character's based off of Toski is so great. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, um, that's kind of our last official meeting between Toski and Graysmith as well. This movie's kind of wrapping up. We're in our last uh, ten minutes or so, but. Uh, we cut to Robert Graysmith pulling up to a hardware shop, and this is going to be December 20th, 1983. Uh, this is also several years after the, uh, the, uh, the anniversary of the murder of uh, David Faradine and uh, Betty Lou Jensen, right to the date, I think, 12, of 1220. Um, <clears throat> but basically, this, kind of, this whole scene kind of heralds back to when Gr- Robert Graysmith says, I, I need to look at him in the face and know that it's him. And he just stares at him. And he's like, can I help you? You know, he's like, nope. And he just stares at Arthur Lee Allen. And at first, he's just friendly, you know, like, like an employee at a, at a place would be. And slowly, he starts realizing who Robert Graysmith is. And there's that door. Yeah. That door opens up behind Arthur Lee Allen. And he looks over his shoulder and looks back at Robert Graysmith like, you better be fucking lucky that there's people here. Like, his look, yeah, his look is so fucking, like, oh. just uh, uh, just barely tethered. Like just get the fuck out of here. He looks so. I'm watching it now, man, and it just looks so. It looks so dangerous, man. It looks just like holy fuck. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> dude. There's no way you can pay like me the, money. The, like the look that only a serial killer can give you. Yes. <laughs> and I love the song playing in the background. It's called Baker Street by. Um, oh God, Cafferty. Uh, I can't remember. It's but it's Baker Street. It's such a like that saxophone solo is is just. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's oh man, that's gonna bother me. It's something Cafferty. My brother loves that song. Um, uh, Jerry Jerry Rafferty. Jerry Rafferty. Thank you, not Cafferty. Yeah. I'm thinking of John Cafferty. <laughs> I'm thinking of John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. It's like a. I remember about winding your way down Baker Street. Yes, I love I love that. My brother was in a band for a while. Actually, me and all my brothers were in a band, but. He was lucky enough to have a saxophone player in his band, and they fucking played Baker Street. I'm like, dude, making a way down in Bay. Such a good song. But yeah, we're gonna wrap it up with one of our final scenes. Um, Shall I? Shall I like this one? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. All right. So we're in um, seven and a half years later. Mm. An insane time jump. Mm -hmm. Like this is um, insane for a movie. Seven and a half years later, we're at an airport in Ontario, Canada. Uh, we see uh, Jimmy Simpson, the the actor Jimmy Simpson. He's from uh, Westworld and Parks Parks and Recreation. Uh, it's always and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. He's from that too. But no, yeah, this guy this guy looks like this guy looks like fucking McPoyle, to, or he is McPoyle, but he will always be McPoyle to me. He's in my notes as McPoyle. Like uh, that's the only thing I know him from besides like an episode of Black Mirror. Oh, dude, dude, he's awesome in Westworld. You gotta watch Westworld. Yeah. Um, but no. Uh, so yeah, we we meet. Um, so he is playing essentially the survivor from earlier. Um, he's the survivor from the Lake Berryessa. Am I right? Right. Yeah, that's Mike Mijal. Yeah. 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 Right. So Mike, uh, he's 
uh, asked to go into an interrogation room uh, by one of the characters we met earlier, slightly. Um, he's he's a he's a cop, right? Right, yeah, I think George, uh, I, I can't, B-A-W-A-R-T, George Bauer, uh, Bauer I can't pronounce yeah. his name, but he took over for Jack Mullinax at Vallejo. Right, at Vallejo, yes. So he sits him down, and pretty much he talks to him about, uh, the, about the case, and essentially he just asks him to pick out the shooter from a number of photos. Uh, and Jimmy Simpson, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep calling him Jimmy Simpson, because he's yeah, not, he, yeah, but anyway. <laughs> uh, and he chooses Arthur, Arthur Lee Allen. Yeah. Uh, and he says he's pretty sure. Eight and, out of ten, yeah. Yeah, eight out of ten. And he's like, the last time I saw this face was July 4th, 1969. I'm very sure that that's the man who shot me. Boom. And then that's when we sort of go to these, uh, well, these little title cards at the end. Yeah. And essentially it just tells us about where these characters are at the moment. Um, the pretty big one to note was that Lee suffered a heart attack before he was arrested. Yeah. Um, after, after having meetings about possibly arresting him. Yeah, yeah. man. It's, it's really, uh, I would have loved to see some justice for this, for this, these crimes, but I guess it's not going to happen. Right. Um, and essentially the case remains open today. Arthur Lee Allen is still the prime and only suspect. Yeah. What's interesting to note is that, uh, uh, this is one of the only things. In 2002, a partial DNA profile that did not match Allen was developed from a thir- the 33-year-old Zodiac envelope. Investigation uh, Investigators in San Francisco and Vallejo refused to rule out Allen as a suspect on the basis of this testing. So basically, you do have forensic evidence like looking you in the face saying it's not Arthur. But you're talking about a 33-year-old envelope. You know, the, we're not – DNA was nothing back then. We're not preserving this thing exactly. correctly. Right. Like, I don't blame them at all, but – Basically, Paul Avery died in the year 2000. Um, the Zodiac case got closed in 04 and was reopened after the after the movie came out. It it, it apparently brought so much attention back to it um, that it, they reopened the case because of it, which is great. You know, that's fantastic that the movie could help out like that. But yeah, that's they, pretty awesome, dude. That yeah, can do that. It's fantastic. Uh, the one interesting thing is that Robert Graysmith claims that since. Arthur Lee Allen's death, he has never received an anonymous phone call with someone breathing on the other end. That's wow. pretty nuts. He, you know, that's 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 pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, there's yeah. just too many like there's too many coincidences like that that just happen, and I that's what leads me to think that it's Arthur Lee Allen more. Mm-hmm. There's there's way too much stuff that we. I mean, we just didn't have the time to go over. I mean, maybe someday we'll do just a solo <clears throat> episode just about the Zodiac, but. The Wingwalker boots, the time being in prison, the misspelling of Christmas, his own relative saying that he was possible of murdering people. Uh, you have Don Chaney coming out saying that he said these things. You've got him in possession of, and, and these are things that are in the book too. People caught him with the cipher and saw him with a cipher writing this stuff. And apparently, right around the time Arthur Lee Allen died, they searched his house and they found the bomb components that he described in the letters from 20 years ago, and he was building the bombs. 
and it's oh, like, oh my god, you know, like that's just the kind of stuff that, like, like you said, it's hard to ignore. You know, after it's like looking that horse right in the face and not, you know, not not. It's I don't know. It's kind of hard, but I do have some trivia things. I just want to do real quick, just a couple of things. Yeah, I know we're, we're, I know this episode's running long, <laughs> but it's a two hour and forty five minute long movie. You know, it's yeah. like we, you know, it's it's going to be a long one. And I mean, you to know summarize, what, guys, grow some balls. Seriously, <laughs> stretch stretch your podcast episode out you know don't right. you like getting content like more content like come on man yeah you, right you, you it's, hear us fuck around and shit right exactly um but um yeah the producers actually hired private investigators to find the real life um uh, jimmy simpson the mike michelle you say his name's jimmy simpson right mcpoyle yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they hired private investigators to track him down and their production team investigated the murders for 18 months prior to filming. Um, that's absolute, that's absolutely that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, you know, talking about George Lucas naming Toski station after Dave Toski, um, you know, it's it's actually uh, one funny thing is <clears throat> that maybe in this podcast on a humorous note is that Robert Downey Jr. was not ready to film with David Fincher because David Fincher is take after take after take after take, you know, yeah, and, and they like were filming Stanley Kubrick. Right. Yeah. And they were filming digitally, which Robert Downey Jr. was not used to. So uh, to get back at him, he would hide mason jars full of his piss all around the set. (laughs) (laughs) That's so morbid, dude. That's so crazy. It's no, it's but it's, you know, oh, my God, that's that's so that's so already Jay. But it's it's definitely a good note to end this podcast on. You know, this has been you know, this is. This has definitely been a heavy hitter, and I'm, 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 you know, I, I could keep talking about this, but I think we've been talking about it for a little over three hours at this point. Um, three and a half we're sitting at right now. So. Three and a half. Good God. Uh, well, let's get the fuck off of here. <laughs> no, just, thank you guys <laughs> so much for listening. Lives, man. Yeah, right. Let's hey, let's go. Let's go read about Zodiac at the library. Um, <laughs> but. Thank you guys so much for hanging in and staying late and listening. Um, we really appreciate it. You know, the, our first couple podcasts, these are big movies that we've taken on. So, you know, obviously the smaller the movie, I think the smaller episode we're going to have, um, you know, and we're we're definitely still looking forward to doing more content and doing those solo episodes. I think, it, I think it works well, too, with those small solo episodes in between. You get a big dump every two weeks, and then you get another, you know, you get a smaller one kind of in between. Maybe big dump isn't the right term, but <laughs> but but. <laughs> But either yeah, way, you know, instrument. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We look forward to uh, doing some more episodes coming up in the future. And uh, if you like what you hear, you know, rate and review us on iTunes. Check us out. Uh, you know, you can always find us uh, on Facebook at Midnight Double Feature. Feel free to join our group called the After Party. Everyone's invited. Uh, and if you've got any questions or comments, anything at all, you know, you guys, if you're not on social media, you're always welcome to email us at midnightdoublefeature at gmail.com. Zoheb, say goodbye to the nice people. See you guys, it's been fun. It's been very long. Uh, I am <laughs> starving. I'm gonna get something to eat. <laughs> but uh, no, seriously, this is this is always great to do. I'm I'm always looking forward to doing a podcast. Um, we've got some pretty big shit lined up, so you know, stay tuned. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll talk to you later. 